Hello, everyone. You are listening to episode number 85 of the Avocado Gamescast, the Avocados Gaming Podcast. So, we are all number one god gamers here at the Avocado Gamescast. We've accomplished so many amazing gaming feats. Some of us do Halo Lasso runs, some of us are amateur speedrunners, and others of us have somehow endured Sonic the Hedgehog. But... Even the most skilled gaming experts among us have had the experience of getting stuck in a video game and having to consult a guide to get unstuck. So what we're going to talk about today is our experiences with guides and walkthroughs, how they've evolved over the years, and the role that they play now in the games industry and the gaming community. My name's Merv, and joining me today, he wrote a thesis on Orion Gastric Juices, it's Wolfman Jew. Hello, all. He was just 10 seconds behind Jervalin on getting Critical's bounty. It's the Kappa. Not even close. I can't believe that happened. I watched it live, and it's still mind-blowing to me. Big congrats. And finally, they're the unbreakable but very bakeable Master of Odero Odero. Give a warm welcome to Wafflicious. Howdy. So, how are y'all doing? Awesome. It's good. Good evening after a long week, so... Pretty good for once. That's good. Glad to hear everyone's doing great. And just on the subject of that bounty, what that was for was for doing Halo 2 Lasso on le- on Legendary, that's part of Lasso, without dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nuts. That, like, it's it was incredible. a couple of weeks of yeah. the bounty it was done. I- I haven't read up on exactly. I know it's been attempted a bunch of times, and I think Jervalin, I I believe. Jervalin, yeah. I know he'd been working on Halo for a long time and then kind of given up on it. It didn't seem like it was going to be something. And then I was actually watching the stream, uh, well, Moist Critical stream, when they found out a way to get past the prison. Um, And that was like the, the missing key to the whole run. And um, then I got to watch the the final run live, and it was incredible. His family's just screaming in the background. You know, he's so happy. It was a really cool moment. For reference, the prison I played casually on, like, normal, and I must have died 50 times, because that's one of the (laughs) hardest parts of that game. And, oh, my God. I actually, like, I had the bug where it just wouldn't give me checkpoints and I actually had to restart the level because I was dying so much and getting sent back like 20 minutes. So I got very familiar with that level and it is not easy. So glad they find a way to, found a way to kind of bypass that. It's just, it's just an interesting time when you're starting to see bounties for impossible gaming feats. I, I like that so much better than, I don't know, some of the other stuff that that people are out there doing it's just you know good on good on them for having the bounty and good on him for completing it but i just think it was a cool idea just to do this thing that everybody thought was impossible put some money behind it and and, and see if people can do it yeah Watching the way go so... from like tasks uh where only a computer can do it to actual human use is mm-hmm. every time it's incredible i love watching those youtube videos where like they'll explain somebody found something in tasks and then like now was can a player do it and then players try and try and try like i think rainbow road was one of the big ones there was like a skip someone found that the task could do but no nobody thought a human could do it and then 
over time, people finally figured it out. It's like the one where you turn around and then jump backwards. It is a very interesting thing. And like the task stuff, I think is, is like a cool tool to figure it out. But I know everybody's got different opinions on it. For me, it's not a real record until a person does it, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's the yeah. real record. Yeah. It's been so cool. Like seeing human runs evolve. I think now was it super Mario or super Mario world where now the, the human record is within half a second of the task record. Oh, That's just man. mind-blowing to me. Yeah. So, we've all been playing video games, presumably. Uh, what have y'all been playing lately? Um, Kappa, what have you been up to? I'll start out. I, I don't think anybody's ready going to predict this one. <laughs> so, I've been super into Power Washing Simulator. Um, <laughs> it's, Ooh, good choice. It's such a, like a, like a dad game. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, my kids are like, oh, he's at it again. <laughs> they just come upstairs and it's like, oh, dad, this game again. You know, I think we one interesting thing I think is I think we've talked about this before on the podcast where it was like there's not a lot of ways to interact with video games. Right. And so like shooting is just a mechanic that always has made sense. Right. Shoot things, do things. But I feel like this was just such a natural extension of shooting stuff and interacting with the world that like I can't believe it took this long for someone to come up with it. Um, I've never been super into like, you know how they call it power wash porn or whatever. I've never really been into that. Yeah. Like, cause I, I do it. It's a chore for me. I hate it, <laughs> so, but there's something about the game version of it. That is just so much fun. There's lore. There's like a game world. You're like learning about it as you're, you know, power washing away everything. There's all this like little game stuff coming through. Um, being able like to kind of like do that thing on the fly where it's, do I want a, a wider one? Do I want the higher pressure one? Do I need to use soap on this? Um, it's been great. I mean, it's, I don't, I think it's got a 10 out of 10 on Steam. Which I think is it's overwhelmingly positive, which is the yeah. highest like community rating you can get. But it's, it's kind of like that. It's the Germans, right. That are super into like those hardcore um, semi games, right? Like where they'll like drive a truck, like they'll go home from work and then just drive a truck for hours or whatever. Um, I think this is kind of the future though, of like these type of sim games It's just a very narrow specific thing. And I was thinking, I was like, what if this ends up being like the square Enix hit of the year? <laughs> I mean, it might be since it might be right. <laughs> sold off most of their Western properties. Um, and I guess they published this one. It's actually a British game. It's made by a British studio called Future Lab. Um, so I guess they kept this one uh, European property. So I, I guess I it's imagine. their big hit now. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, is this what the people wanted? All along, we were making all these like complicated hitmans and Tomb Raiders. And, and then all along, people just wanted to go outside and pressure wash. <laughs> Um, it's fun though. It, there's a lot of stages to it. Um, I haven't tackled any of the challenge modes yet. The challenge modes look really cool. I'm not quite there yet. I think I am actually on, if not the last level, very, 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 very close to the last level. Um, I think, so, I think I've probably done most levels once or twice too. Um, but it's, it's really enjoyable. It, it's a cozy game. You pop it on, you pop a movie on. I've actually been watching a lot of evil as I've been playing power watch simulator, kind of keep my, you know, like my, my chi balanced or whatever, but, um, it's been good. It's, it's been good summerish type game. Um, so yeah, if, if you're into weird semi indie, but actually published by square Enix games, um, give it a shot. I think it's free on game pass. That's how I got it. But I know a lot of people 
are buying it on Steam because it's got crazy, crazy high reviews on Steam. It is currently thirty three forty nine Canadian on Steam. I don't Ooh, know how, how like to do the... bucks? Yeah, it'd be around that American, I think. I forget currency conversions. Um, but yeah, it's pretty good deal for you know shooting things with a water gun, essentially. So just for my own benefit, are the challenges timed? How do they add oh, so difficulty to this? Yeah, so so you, you do the mission, and then it unlocks the challenge mode for it. One is timed, which, you know, how fast can you do it? The other one is interesting. It's how much water do you use? Oh, right? so it's like resource management. Right, right. So, like, you don't want to just go in guns blazing. You know, you want to think about the, the stream pressure and the width and all that kind of stuff and really kind of start top to bottom on something. Um especially when you're kind of like going through like the angles, right? Cause you can only flip the nozzle horizontal or vertical. Right. And then there's also this mode you can do. Um, it's like up on the D pad where you stand still, but you, instead of like moving left and right, you move the hose left and right, or like the stream left and right. Um, which is really good if you're getting into some of those tight areas because each mission is kind of a little different, right? So like there's one, let's say like a, you're washing a subway station, it's big areas and you're having to do the majority of it. But once you get about 99% of a wall or a, a surface clean, it just auto completes the rest for you, right? The problem is more like the smaller items. So like if you're pressure washing, say like a motorcycle, you've got to get the individual spokes on a tire for it to autocomplete for you, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, sometimes you're literally, like, hiding underneath a car looking for, like, one angle of dirt, and you've got, like, a dirt vision button. Like, if you push it, the <laughs> dirt amazing. kind of, like, strobes. <laughs> so you're, like, under the car looking, like, hit, randomly hitting the button, like, come on, I know it's dirty still. Uh, trying to find the one spot so you can just spray it and move on. But um, it does a very good job of giving you different tools and keeping kind of the 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 modes running, I think it's hard to explain. Like um, for every motorcycle, there's a UFO, or for every like subway area, there's an RV. So it doesn't feel like you're constantly having to deal with super big, overwhelming ones. Because I, I get the kind of the vibe is like, oh, this is an easy one, but it's only going to pay me 500 bucks. So I'm going to get this one done and then move on to the next one. Versus, wow, this is almost too overwhelming. Where do I start? But then you chop it up into little sections, right? Um, but and that's enjoyable on its own. I gotta say, one thing, this is maybe a crazy selling point for the Xbox. One thing that makes this game even better for me on the Xbox is the quick resume, right? Because I'll do 15, 20 minutes of power washing, go do whatever I'm gonna do, come back and it's just boom, right back into it. Um, that's a good feeling. And that, that quick resume hits different games differently. Um, yeah. And I think that this one is, is a very good selling point for, for Quick Resume. Yeah, it does sound like the kind of thing where, like, okay, I left... It's kind of like... Um, almost like it... This is going to be a weird analogy. Almost like work. Like, you mm -hmm. take your lunch break and you come back and you want to be right where you left off. It reminds you a bit of that. Right. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting was the challenge modes, where you mentioned that one of them was timed and one of them was water management it's mm -hmm. almost like there's a speed run mode and i guess like a survival <laughs> horror <laughs> mode almost like with the limited resources that the to me turn. is so cool that they've repurposed the, the mechanics in those way in those ways um yeah so it's it's a well thought out game i mean even as those sim type games go it's it's well thought out um 
I th it feels like the kind of game that they're constantly evolving in. And I do mean it. There is a pretty interesting lore kind of going on. You're in a city that's next to a volcano that's erupting and there's ash over everything. And you slowly find out that there's like an ancient God and you have to clean his statues and his temples. It's it's it, their cats are all missing. That's another thing. Um, there's a lot going on there for such a little, you know, kind of out of, out of nowhere, a little game that, that hit just at the right time for me. Yeah. It's, a, it's a game that I'm, I never thought I'd be interested in, but I'm seriously considering picking it up. So, uh, good on future lab and square Enix for putting this out there. Yeah. All right. Waffles, what have you been playing? Uh, a little bit of everything right now, but mostly Hades. Um, I finally hit the point in Hades where I have all of the story done, and it's just like meat and potatoes. Get through it, get as high as you can, get as fast as you can, get as many uh, complications to it as you can. And I'm just, I'm kind of trying to play through as hard as I can while I still have the motor skills, because um, I know as soon as I set it down, I'm probably not going to pick it up again for a long time and and this is a game that rewards motor skills more than more than most you know <laughs> what's your go-to weapon um mine is the shield mm. i i really like the shield especially um there's the uh uh the second mode i think the um i can't, I can't think of the name of the god um oh it's chaos yeah it's chaos's shield um that splits uh, into multiple shields when you throw it. Um, I just, for some reason, that weapon has really stuck with me. Um, and that's where my highest heat is right now with that. I think I'm up to 10 now, 10 heat nice. with that. Oh, dear God. Yeah. Wow. You've been at it. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, it's, I, I don't normally stick with a game this long po like post ending um so it's been really interesting how well this has stuck with me and how much i'm really enjoying the grind it's and that's another thing i don't wouldn't normally tell you like i've dropped a lot of final fantasy games because the grind gets to me and this one is just there was something about the art and the music and the the style and just i i've I feel like I've kind of cracked open how the game works, how many rooms I should expect to see before I see a mini boss, uh, what sort of extras I can pick up on the fly. It's just, it's starting to feel really smooth. So it's really like sunk its claws into you. Uh, it, yeah. Like I know games, some, some, like sometimes I'll pick one up and then I'll just play it for months because like there's something about the mechanics or the vibe of the game that mm really makes again its hooks into me so it's it's i'm glad to, to hear that you're super interested in this one yeah this i think this is the first roguelike that i've really gotten into in any way also which it is such an outlier game for me and yet i can't put it down i've been playing it for months now yeah i've heard that from a lot of people that Same. they don't typically like roguelikes but they started playing Hades and they absolutely loved it. So, I, I mean, I, I've never actually played Hades. It's one of those things I that I want to play eventually, but just haven't had time for yet. But I keep hearing these amazing things about it and I definitely want to give it a go. I think the reason why, and I'm also counting myself there as someone who just doesn't really have a lot of time for roguelikes, but has a lot of time for Hades. It's a, I mean, ultimately, there's a lot of reasons uh, far and away being that the gameplay is exquisite, the story is great, the characters are incredible, but it's, I think it's just the fact that, like, it, 
it's balanced perfectly for how much of a roguelike you want it to be. Like the story is involved enough that you can keep going just for that. Yeah. And I, I like how they've really incorporated all of the elements of the roguelike into it as as just like sort of natural consequences of the world you're in. Uh, none of it feels forced for, for game design reasons. It all just feels like it clicks together really naturally. That's a really hard feat for a game to pull off. And when it does, yeah. it's like chef's kiss, right? Yeah. 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 Supergiant, I think that's maybe their specialty is the feel of a game, wouldn't you think? I mean, like... Yeah. I think that's really they they understand so much. Even Pyre, which was kind of their their black sheep game, I don't know if like you know kind of the one that doesn't fit in with the rest. It still feels really cool, like the mechanics of it. I don't know anybody who didn't like that, but um, you know Bastion definitely had a lot going on. It felt like a very cool type game just to even just be in the world. That narrator added a lot for sure. But um, yeah, I, I think Super Giant's a really 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 cool studio. Just to kind of see where they go from here, um, you know. I'm, I'm betting they've got that budget now to really kind of do whatever they want. Yeah, they've been fairly, I mean, all of their games have been critical and commercial successes to varying degrees. So I'm really interested to see what they do for their fifth game. Mm -hmm. uh, they haven't announced and, anything, have they? No. Um, but no. Um, it's, it's not too far off from when they should. Um, mm. Like they release a game roughly every few years. Hades has been, you know, out for a while, but it was also in early access long enough that it's still been a while. Like, yeah. Or is it a little surprising? Do you think they didn't release any DLC or like well, add-ons for Hades for? I don't think they needed to. Like, yeah. and also it was like I said, this was it, Hades was in early access for a long time. The version that like 90% of all of us played was just the version that came after that. Um, so yeah, so it felt complete. I yeah. guess. It's just when a game wins every game of the year award for an entire year and it was a slow year anyway. Um, just kind of, I don't think to, they were to move on. I think we're, it's also like they're a company that doesn't like the idea of doing of feeling like you do DLC because you have to, or that its success demands or merits it. Like they did it, they're very proud. Now it's time to the next game with only one word in the title that's incredibly <laughs> popular. The one thing I think I'm gonna miss about Supergiant getting so big is they used to have this little tiny booth at PAX. It was maybe four gaming consoles back in the day and you just literally sit there and they're like hey what's up i'm the i'm the lead programmer on this game you want to give it a whirl <laughs> you just sit there and play and they were so relaxed and and just calm about everything and walk you through their game they were like it always felt like they were really proud of their games um which they should be i, I don't mean that in a bad way but a lot of other you always kind of remember the developers at pax that sit down with you and play the game and they really feel proud of what they've done um off the top of my head like they were the clear far and away number one um the castle crasher guys they were always the same and um the state of decay team back when they were i think before they were bought out by microsoft they used to have their own booth now they're probably part of microsoft but they were always very very proud of their stuff they just sit there and let you play as long as you want they get excited when you do things and it's a cool feeling to, to see people do that so um i hope supergiant keeps it going because i everybody seems to love haiti so yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I'm really ex- I've you know what I, confession time I've never actually played a super giant game I have <laughs> uh Bastion and Transistor in my backlog and I just haven't had time to fire them up yet but <laughs> I'm so excited to finally try one and to see what the studio comes up with next uh Wolfman the- Sorry, go ahead. We were going to say something. I was just going to say that one of the best things about not playing a super giant game is that it's always the right time to play a super giant game. <laughs> Absolutely. I I mean, um, I would play a super giant game, but I don't have time right now because <laughs> I'm busy playing Xenoblade Chronicles Three, which I believe you are also <laughs> playing, Wolfman Jew. Yeah. Yes, I uh, am. Okay. So let me just. You know, figure out the best way to say this. So since this podcast started, or at least in the few years after it started, uh, there's a few games that we kind of, that we've kind of, you know, honed in on as our turf, right? Um, uh, Persona 5, Destiny 2, the, a conf, a, the conflagration of all that is Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and one of the big ones has been Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles, this incredibly impossible series from Nintendo of in which a company that started by making a incredibly inscrutable final fantasy esque spinoff thing went into now is now making games that sell millions of copies so that they can also work on Zelda games. Um, so while I've played through all the Xenoblade games, albeit I've only played a little bit of X, the Wii, the weird one for the Wii U. Um, so it's... Sorry. I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say here, but... Uh, well, I, I think, just to, to step in here for a sec, I think, oh, sure. like, to, to bounce off that point, this is, the Xenoblade games are very non-Nintendo games for Nintendo games, if you know what I mean. Uh, They're very different from most of Nintendo's first-party output. When you think of Nintendo games, you think of these very ludically focused, very highly polished experiences uh, that have almost like these toyetic elements to them. And Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles is not that. Yeah, It's It's... like these sprawling epic, very narrative-focused JRPGs that are a little bit rough around the edges, that have these super complicated uh, mechanics and battle systems, but also All these for... like incredibly gorgeous and uh, alien worlds that are just like unlike anything else in video games. But it's also that they have these like mammoth stories in these worlds that are giant, but also designed in a way that you don't really need to explore more than a sliver of them. Yeah, like they're designed to be almost like, almost like you're only seeing a portion of the the entire world that would be otherwise laid out for you. Let let me ask you both something because I kind of I didn't make it pa- I didn't make the leap from oh, what was the one's Cosmos Cosmos. Xenosaga. They all have Cosmos, but uh, I think, yeah. uh, Xenosaga is the one that originally featured her, I believe. So I never made the leap from Saga to to Chronicles or Blade, um, whatever the the cool name everybody calls it. It is Xenosaga to Xenoblade. Okay. (laughs) So do you think that it's because other games are doing similar things like Nier and stuff like that? Or is it? No. No game does anything really 
similar. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's overselling it, but mm. it's pretty unique in the GRPG space. I think it's... part of the problem is that um, I don't think it was always able to fully successfully execute on its vision until maybe now. Um, but yeah, it's quite different from other JRPGs out there. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like it's a it's a JRPG, but the most like inscrutable kind of JRPG. It's an open world game, but like an absolutely mammoth and bizarrely structured open world game. It's like it really is very different, even as it holds a bunch of stuff from other popular genres. Um I would say it's, so just to be clear, I mean, Xenoblade Chronicles X is open world. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 has like these huge interlinked open areas. So I I, I describe it more like, yeah, they're sandbox. I describe it more like Dragon Age Inquisition, that kind of setup. Um, But yeah, there are these big open areas for sure. Yeah, the, they're t- they're they're not. It's not an open world game, in really, in the sense that like it's not one open world. It is multiple sandboxes, but these are absurdly sized sandboxes. You, all, all, these games are all set on the backs of dead or dying or living monsters, and their like bones become the space of where in which entire kingdoms rise and fall. It's um, yeah. So just like uh, to explain the joke in the intro. Uh, one level in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has you literally playing inside the digestive tract of a giant monster. Like, someone built a city there. Um, And the lakes are like pools of stomach acid, I guess. Yeah, but it's not, but not like, they don't hurt you. Yeah, it's like benign stomach acid. Yeah. It's, um, the trees, the forests are just giant bioluminescent, like, I guess, fungi that look like trees. Yeah, um, it's um, it's pretty imaginative. Yeah. Uh, so on three in particular, um, where are you right now in the game? Okay, I am. I'm pretty sure I'm nearing the end of chapter four. I'm in the fourth major region. Um, oh wow, you are way ahead of me. I am a couple of hours into chapter three. Okay, cool. So you have. Yeah. Um, okay. I actually don't even remember where that is. By that point, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, um, I've met Ethel and we've hung out. Oh, fair yeah. enough. Got it. That helps. Um, so, Xenoblade One came out in 2010. It came out in 2012 in a, in outside of Japan for after a the weird Operation Rainfall a a kind of fan campaign to get a number of late er- we era jrpgs brought out into the into other languages yeah so um so with that weird thing of like even nintendo didn't want to bother translating it it's into now this thing that's selling millions of copies and yeah and its characters now get to go fight the smash brothers and whatever like these are uh, it's kind of this very weird trajectory for this for a series like this where you literally have people fighting on the backs of giant monsters and like screaming about how they're going to rewrite reality. Like it's all stuff you've seen. It's just done in a way that's extremely weird. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, how do I put this? It's, it, it has all of that JRPG stuff, but with a tone that's very different from most JRPGs, especially it's darker. 
Yeah, especially Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which is a lot more somber and a lot more reflective, and I would even say less chatty than most JRPGs. Um, I uh, had a conversation about um, uh, about this a while ago with another person from the show um, who's been on the show, uh, Lovely Bones. And we were talking about, it's not about Xenoblade, it's about Fire Emblem specifically and how we were kind of thinking about like the way how like in Fire, like Magic and Fire Emblem, you know, another Nintendo series about like anime people fighting in political battles um, and how it, there's a map in Fire Emblem, one of the Fire Emblem games that has ghost soldiers on it. And it kind of rubbed us the wrong way for different reasons. For me specifically, it was the whole idea of there being ghost soldiers in Fire Emblem, which is a series that has magic and has like fantastical elements and it has dragons and gods, but it's very weird to have this idea of, okay, there actually is an afterlife that feels like it changes things significantly. Right. Cause permadeath is a part of that yeah, series. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and similarly, like, because it's also, it's tonally, right. It's weird and darker and, and more serious and severe a lot of the time. And Xenoblade takes that to, like, a much wilder direction um, that frequently have you fighting in war in, like, basically, like, racial conflicts or massive wars amid, like, like in inevitable and imminent climate death. And uh, it's just weird. It's just weird to, like, know this and know that this is still, like, ultimately just as Nintendo as anything else. But... Um, anyway, so uh, I've so, come into this series. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was so, just going to actually. Just, yeah, go ahead. Um, I was just going to now actually get into like what distinguishes three maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that's the interesting like, bit. Yeah. Cause I, I've been talking about this way too long and I haven't even gotten to the actual game. Uh, three, which just came out. This is the first time I've ever been playing any of these games at launch. Um, which feels special and exciting, but uh, three is so one is set on the back of a dead of two dead giants, um, and the two giants were you know fought in this endless war, died, and now the creatures that lived and evolved on their bodies are now fighting the same wars. Xenoblade two is set on the backs of living giant active monsters who whose needs and whims are either you know. Sa- supported by the people who call them home or are kind of like turned into workhorses for the for their denizens gee i wonder if there's a metaphor there (laughs) yeah it's this this is not a very these are not very subtle games yeah um even by the standards of the jrpg um and they're these are set in different worlds although in a way where the stuff kind of connects in different ways. That's a little more complicated than that. But the idea is that ostensibly these are set in unique settings. Three appears. I'm going to guess that the same is true with three, both thematically and literally, because we're in a world that is essentially a, appears to be almost like a graveyard for the creatures, but also for the level design tropes and aesthetics of both Xenoblade one and two. You have a, like the very cover shows that one of the tight one of the giants from Xenoblade 2, the one that you go inside with the stomach acids, 
that you see its corpse. Like it's hollowed out, complete desiccated corpse. And it's right next to a sword from Xenoblade that formed an entire like region in Xenoblade 1. Um, there are bodies, there are enemies, there are different... A lot of the different races from 1 and 2 appear to have lived on in odd ways into the denizens. Um, I haven't really done a full count yet, but I feel like one... There's two sides to this conflict, one of which seems to have aggressive ties to Xenoblade 1, and the other which has to have aggressive ties to Xenoblade 2, but not in ways that have become fully clear yet. Just, they're in my head, and I'm keeping trying to keep note. So would you say this would be good for someone who hasn't played before, or would you really want to start with one and go from there? That That's the thing, Waffle. I don't know. <laughs> so like, I actually don't know. Um, this is like the all the where, like, All the reviews I've read say you can safely go into this not having played the first two. You might get a little bit more out of it having played the first two, just lore-wise, but the plot will make complete sense to the extent that any JRPG plot can make complete sense, um, having not played the first two games. Yeah, that this is also true with Xenoblade uh, 2, where, like, it is set, like I said, it is set in a different reality, it is set in a different continuity, but at the end you do discover that it has genuine extreme connections to Xenoblade 1 in ways that are very exciting if you played Xenoblade 1. And very and... confusing if you hadn't, like I had at the time, um, that I weighed went back and played the first Xenoblade game. But uh, I don't honestly know. <laughs> to, to, I guess to answer, uh, to give you a more definitive answer, answer uh, Waffle, I think that I would probably suggest to play Xenoblade 1 or 2 first, um, that you can still go into 3 completely fine, um, but you will get more out of it. The only thing is that... Uh, Insanely, Xenoblade 2 is currently out of print. Wait, what? That's messed yeah. up. It um hopefully that will not be the case soon because that's a very large game. Yeah, I, I don't know if you wanna, you know, occupy another 18 gigs on your Switch with one game. Uh but you can always download it if that's yeah. your your bag. Uh but yeah, it's um yeah, so the story in general I like um, of this. The general world I am enjoying a lot. Uh, Xenoblade 1 was a game about people who are kind of like eking out a society and eking out a life and kind of feeling threatened and being threatened and having to go like fight that back and fight this like all-powerful enemy only to realize the limits of their own world, of their and their opposing side's world's views. Um, and Xenoblade 2 was kind of not dissimilar. It was about, you know, a ragtag band of people who have been, who for whatever reason are escaping this kind of weird and abusive society of like what is essentially like slave ownership, um, in order to try to go to the top of the world. Uh, it's very weird, but there's this, both of these games do this thing where it's like very complicated and inscrutable, but they also have like very core and I think easily identifiable yeah. things. So let's get to, to Xenoblade 3. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, Where you want to handle this then? Oh, Would you yeah. Uh, I mean, just to really briefly explain the plot here. Um, so it's set in a world where two nations, Agnes and Kevis, have been at war for as long as anyone can remember. 
But the special thing about this war is that it's fought entirely by child soldiers. People are effectively born into this world at age 10 out of, I guess, tubes. And yeah. then they automatically die the second they turn. They, either they die in war or they die the second they turn 20. And they have to keep fighting this war to essentially power up their kingdom. Because if they don't keep fighting and they don't kill enough of the opposing side, then the kingdom will effectively shut, lose power and shut down. So they're locked in this perpetual war until three soldiers from each side are sent on a special recon mission. Um, and due to some strange events that transpire, end up having to work together and realize yeah. that they want to break free of this perpetual war. And so they're on a mission to both run away from both sides that are now trying to kill them while yeah. also freeing both sides from this perpetual war. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a road trip. Yeah. Um, albeit one that you can uh, like warp back to because there's plenty, because as much as like, as these games are designed, like the vast majority of content is largely completely optional, but absolutely mammoth in size and amount, which is why, it's complete. You don't. You can absolutely just go on the main quest, or you can actively go and try to rescue and liberate these different colonies from both sides. Um, yeah. And uh, so I think oh, the the last thing we kind of want to mention about Xenoblade is uh, the combat. So Wolfman, can you kind of explain <laughs> how this combat system well, is? I, set? I gave you the easy one, but but fair enough. Um, so Xenoblade games are essentially like JRPG versions of a Western MMO. You, um, you have a party in the in the first game it's three, in the second game it's three slash nine, in this one it's six to seven, and you are you're basically arrayed against whatever enemies attack you or whichever enemies you decide to attack. You all surround the enemies. You auto attack as you auto attack. That fills up. As you auto attack or as you just continue the battle, you get moves that are called arts, which are kind of your special attacks. When you build, you want to chain together your arts in various ways to like chain damages, to unleash status effects, to heal your party members, to use greater attacks, and then to form elaborate chain attacks. Um, weirdly enough, once you get into the groove of it, it's honestly not that difficult. Yeah, I've. I, on the regular battles, I can just stand there and my party will dispatch the enemies because I'm a little bit overleveled right now. Yes. Oh, yeah, that is a problem. Overleveling is a genuine issue in this game. Um, it, it gets. It's actually a pretty bad problem to have later on because you uh, unlock new classes. So this game has a job system where over the course of the game, you keep unlocking new jobs or classes. Uh, but the only way to get the, your entire party to learn a new class is by fighting enemies that aren't too many levels below you. Otherwise, they won't be able to learn the class. So yeah. you have to be uh, a little careful and not overleveling too far, or you won't, or only one member of your party will be able to learn uh, each new class. Yeah, this is uh, an issue. Early on, I was like, 
I didn't realize that the um, points for class leveling scale with the points for experience. So I was like, okay, I'll just, you know, wait till everyone's le maxed out their classes and then move on. And then, oh, wait, no. No, 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 you can't do yeah. that. So how far out would you have to plan a run then? I mean, you'd probably... Well, uh, actually, I mean, the truth, there are actually, like, ways to get around this. Um, there are items... Um, that can artificially increase your level, uh, artificially but permanently increase your level. They are, I, as far as I can tell, they are complete. They are limited. There is not an infinite number of them. There's only a set number of them in one game, but there's a lot of them. Um, yeah. And you don't really need to, like... The truth is you don't actually need to, like, max out every class or even most of the classes. Um, yeah, the only real perk to maxing out a class is being able to change that outfit whenever you want. Uh, otherwise, there's no like additional. What, is there additional perk? I think you unlock a certain uh, yes. skill that you can Fashion use. You unlock. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. You actually you unlock, I believe, option the optional skills and optional moves. Right. Optional like special attacks, but and then you can equip them. Um, yeah. So like the, this whole idea of duality and and bringing together these two worlds is even reflected in the combat system, where yeah. um, you if you're playing as a Kavesi character. You have only Kavesi arts. If you're playing as an Agnian character, you start with only Agnian arts. But then um, you can learn special arts from the other side of the conflict. And those become the other additional moves that you can add in optionally to your arsenal. Uh, and so, so like, a, that, like a blue mage system from Final Fantasy? I don't like know what that is, but I'm going to say yes, exactly oh, like that. Right. <laughs> Um, you also have other ways that the themes can are included is that you get bonus heroes and they hear all of who almost all of whom so far I've unlocked I think like somewhere between like seven and ten of them. Um, almost all of them have are the commanders of the colonies you liberate, so you get additional leaders of each like group by your side, and you can also fuse with um, fuse some of the characters can fuse with the people of the other side of your heroes. Like oh, literally, yeah. we didn't even talk about the mechs. There are mechs in this game. I guess they're biomechs. I don't know what you'd call them. Um, when we're fusing, is it literally like combining two into one? Or oh is yeah, it yeah, like yeah. A... Like yeah. two people <laughs> combine into a magical mech. Ah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, um and then does. some of the villains <laughs> also combine into magical mechs. Yeah, it's like it's very darling of the Franks, except for not terrible. Um, so, yeah, it's a game that's chock full of content, chock full of ideas. Um, Wolfman we'll could probably speak to a little bit better to it because he's farther in it. Um, how are you enjoying it so far? Um, I am, like, honestly having a great time. I've, this is, it's really nice that, but, like, it was great having a month of just being super obsessed with Elden Ring on top of the Kingdom Hearts stuff I had to do. But, like, it's genuinely just nice to just be sinking myself into another game again. Uh, oh, just RPG to RPG, though. That is... Yeah, it yeah, gets you to be enjoying lot. it, yeah. Like, it's, um, it's well, such I mean, a year before, for RPGs, though. Yeah. Yeah. Elden Ring, Pokemon Legends, uh, Xenoblade. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a few. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, and upcoming, there's Soul Hackers 2, Harvestella, Diaville Chronicle, Valkyrie Elysium. It's a, it's a crazy year, man. Um, 
for RPGs. Uh, so yeah, that is Xenoblade Chronicles 3, a game that Wolfman's been enjoying, that I've been enjoying, and I think is going to be one of my favorite games of the year, if it can keep up the quality. Um, but I would like to talk about a game that is the opposite of a game that I've been enjoying, which <laughs> is Silt. Uh, a game that I finished last night. Uh, I finished it. I plowed through the end just so I could talk about the game on this podcast. Uh, well, okay. I normally don't like talking about games I don't like. I like part of the reason we've done this podcast for gosh six years now uh, is because I love talking about games that I enjoy and then like browbeating people into playing the games I like. <laughs> and um, like, if this podcast does anything, I hope it encourages people to play some of the more obscure titles or titles you might've overlooked that we talk about here. This is not that. I'm telling you not to play this game. Um, Silt is, to, to sum it up in a few words, what if we took Limbo or Inside and put it underwater. That sounds pretty good on paper, right? It sounds like it could be a good plan. <laughs> inoffensive uh, is the word that comes to mind here. Yeah, inoffensive. Like at at, at worst, you think, okay, it's going to be mediocre. It's going to be generic. And to this game's credit, it the artwork is just absolutely gorgeous. It's got a little bit of that ink pen kind of quality to it. And it's all done in grayscale with great use of, of lighting and shadow. Um, great from an artistic perspective, not from a gameplay perspective, which I'll get to in a little bit. Um, and it's really great at creating this sense of uh, like otherworldly dread, almost, uh, and limbo-esque horror. And that is pretty much all all that's nice that I can say about it uh, because almost everything else about this game is awful uh, and I I am so disappointed to have to say this because I was looking so forward to this game like Kappa will say this this game has Merv written all over it right oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah I mean I'm looking at it and this is uh, I'm surprised we're getting a pan here I'm ready for <laughs> game of the year talk with this thing and you oh no it's it's I think it's almost worse when a game you think you're gonna love disappoints you, but it's not just disappointing. This game is just bad. Um, so, in order to explain why it's bad, it's got the same kind of structure as a puzzle platformer, but you're underwater the whole time. You're swimming. Ooh, yeah, that control. Yeah. So, puzzle platformers don't rely that much on platforming skill, but they do rely a little bit. Like you need to be able to manipulate a character. It's generally possible to miss a jump, etc. When you have that kind of timing and skill requirement for something that's underwater, where the movement is very sludgy and imprecise, that is a horrible fit. Yeah. Um, um, let, let me pitch this to you. So. I, I see this kind of game almost like like Limbo and a, a bunch of there's been a million Limbo type knockoffs, right? Is it more about let's just create a mood or a vibe for a game and then whatever happens in it, we don't really care 
as as far as gameplay or anything else. We just think people are going to be into this game because of the mood, maybe. Like, I I don't know how to describe it. I mean, I think Limbo was a lot more than just the mood. It was the mood, but it was also the fact that the puzzles were good, the pace was strong. Like, yeah, I would characterize it as people thinking that Limbo or Inside are just the surface elements of those games, the mood, the tone, Mm -hmm. the oppressive atmosphere, and not understanding what made those games tick. Right, right. So, yeah, that's, that's what I'm kind of trying to get at. Like, you're, you're, you say, well, let's run with this feel, but then they don't know what to do once they're inside of that, you know, that how feel. do we make this a, a game? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly the problem with this game. It knows how Limbo creates mood and tone, but it doesn't know how to do any of that to make a compelling game. So one of the problems with the controls is that sometimes because the controls are so poor, you can't, you might solve the puzzle properly, but you can't tell because you can't execute the solution. You might just be like swimming in the wrong spot or something, right? Yeah. Like some of the precision requirements of this game are so ridiculous. It's almost souls-like in how precise they need you to be. (laughs) Like there's one section I played last night where I had, I think I must have tried it 50 or 60 times, and I just wasn't getting the timing right. I had the solution completely correct. I just couldn't execute the timing. Mm. And like you can't have timing requirements that tight in a game like this. What are you playing Be- it on? Uh, I was playing it on Switch, which mm, okay. was, uh, I guess, a little bit of a mistake, not because it runs poorly, but because it doesn't work that well on the small screen. So I I was thinking maybe that was my problem with it. So last night I put it up on the big TV and it was, if anything, worse because now the lighting didn't work as well on the big TV. (laughs) Like, I couldn't tell sometimes. HDR would be like, well, I mean, too, you know, I better hope you don't have uh, drift on your uh, Joy-Con, too. Oh, no, no, no. These are fairly new Joy-Cons. So I would say with the controls, like a swimming control and and Joy-Con drift would be... Sounds like a bad combo. Yeah. Yeah. It would be. Wandering, um, floating in a direction. Yeah. So, like, and the problem with dying repeatedly, right, is that it just ruins all the tension. It just sucks mm-hmm. all the. Like, because if you know you're going to keep, like, everything in this game, it kills you in the same way. It either, it either mauls you or eats you. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you, yeah. once you've been eaten by the you know, 300th underwater worm, you just stop caring. It just (laughs) doesn't matter anymore. Uh, This is something, not to put too fine a point on it, but Limbo and Inside did fairly much better on that mark. Oh, absolutely. Like, Like you would die if you did something stupid, but you weren't dying constantly. The death is like, it creates tension. Well, it was also, the death was itself something exciting. Like, in Limbo, it's very well-structured, right? Like, you're in the forest, where you then see, like, there's some stuff, then there is the spider, then there is the village of the children you have to murder. (laughs) Before before they murder you. This is a creepy Eastern European horror game, not a, like... It's Western European, it's Dutch, I believe. But yeah. Um, yeah. Does um, the aesthetic fight the game? Like, as far as, like, the puzzles go, too? Like, a little bit. There's some places that where you can't tell what's part of the interactable environment or what's, like, a wall. 
And so sometimes you'll just like bonk swimming into something because you <laughs> think it's something you can swim over. Um, and one of the things that Limbo and Inside did so effectively is how they deployed dark humor. Right? right. Inside is kind of a funny game. Like I, I legitimately chuckled a few times playing that game. This game has none of that. It's just there... so serious, but serious in a way that doesn't mean anything. Like there's no greater meaning in this game. It's all entirely abstract in a very sophomoric way where they have symbolism, but it's symbolism that means nothing. So it just ends up being empty. I don't know. I think I've ragged on this game way too much for what it is, which is <laughs> an indie game that tried to do something and failed. Um, so, yeah, don't play Silk. So far, my least favorite <laughs> game of the year. Uh, we'll have to remember that comes. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. This is definitely you. getting mentioned on the year, end of year podcast. Uh, but I got all of it out of my system now, so I won't be as angry in December. <laughs> the, the okay, so... So it's not going to get a uh, if I may, if I may be so bold, it's not going to get a Peely award. No. Oh no, it will get a Peely. It will get. I will. I will push hard for this to get a Peely because this game is awful. It's one of the worst games I've played in the past five years. Um, not the worst game I've played this. It's the worst game of 2022 that I've played, but not the worst game I've played this year because I played a game from last year this year, which was even worse. Uh, that was the good life. It made me swear off sweary games. Um, <laughs> And I, I'm actually going to end up talking about the good life later, so that was a bit of foreshadowing. Um, but the reason I was asking about the aesthetic, though, is because so many puzzle games rely on clues, right? Yeah. Like just to avoid being frustrating, you know, the the yellow doors are always the exit, or the you know. So sometimes when you're doing that really black and white aesthetic, especially with like a floaty type of world. I could just imagine, like you were saying, just what do I even need to do in this room? Sometimes feels like like something to figure out. And that's not really fun in a puzzle game. Yeah. Um, if, so, if you're always on the on the hunt for what to literally what to do. So just to describe this game a little bit more and actually explain how the aesthetic works into it. Um, you know how people make fun of the Uncharted games kind of highlighted handholds? Yeah, yeah, climb yellow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this game has the exact opposite problem. Um, <laughs> the art design tells you nothing about yeah. how to interact with the world until you go into a mode, which is uh, the main mechanic of the game, which is possessing other creatures to do um, uh, to solve puzzles. So it's kind of like so Super Mario Odyssey. Mario Odyssey. Yeah, you possess... Imagine Mario Odyssey, but 2D and awful. Um, huh. And entirely underwater. Yeah. So it's like the Lake Kingdom, but crappy. Um, so you possess other creatures and you use their powers to solve puzzles. And when you go into the possession mode, by the way, the little possession tendril you get to stake your way to other characters, almost impossible to control. Never got the hang of it in the entire time I spent with it. Awful mechanic. I don't know why they implemented it this way. Um, but anyway, you pos possess these characters and possessable characters get a little bit highlighted when you go into that mode with your little possession tendril but the whole world slightly appears like a little bit brighter so sometimes even from that mode it's not clear what you can and can't possess yeah so yeah. they've just messed up pretty much everything they could have messed up about this game i don't know i'm probably just really bitter because i forced myself through it 
with a guide. Um, uh, I actually used a guide to help me with some of the puzzles because I got tired of it. And that is exactly what we wanted to talk about today. Guides and walkthroughs in video games. So walkthroughs and guides have been around for almost as long as video games. That's probably not true. First, there was your annoying roommate who sat on the couch next to you and backseat game while you were trying to play Final Fantasy. And then we replaced that annoying roommate with books that told us exactly what we needed to do at various points in the game. It's like having an annoying roommate that you consult at your own leisure. Um, so walkthroughs and guides have been part of gaming for a long time. And just to kind of kick this off, I wanted to know if you folks have ever consulted one. I mean, you probably yes. have. Um, oh, yes. That's that's definitely, that's going to be a yes all around. So uh, what was one time when you consulted one? Um, just this year, I regularly used a guide for Return of the Oberdin, which was one of the best gaming experiences I've had this year. And it's one of my favorite games of uh, 2018. But uh, like, it's really hard. There are some puzzles that, yeah, do kind of require you to know what 19th century French maritime outfits look like. Yeah, for me, it was, um, I remember when I was playing Samurai Warriors Spirit of Sonata. Um, I really enjoyed the game, but there are so many, Samurai Warriors always have that do this thing and then do this thing and then do this thing and then you can do this thing. And finding those out just by pure happenstance is is probably impossible. Um, I do think there are definitely some games that come out now that are designed to be, you know, go look at a walkthrough or a video or something like that, um, because no way are half these these things being found out otherwise. Um, but yeah, that was one where I kind of extensively, you know, followed along with guides just to unlock a lot of the different things that I needed to, or wanted to unlock. Most recently for me, it was uh, Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Um, there were a couple of blueprints that I couldn't find, and it was one of those where I probably could have just kept grinding at it, but I just it wasn't worth it to me to grind at it, so I yeah. just looked it up. Yeah, there was, def there was one that I looked up when I was playing through that game, um, and then I hit myself because, like, oh, I really should have known that. Um, but yeah. it was... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I was like, you know, I've already spent a couple of hours looking for this. I should probably just look it up. And then I did. And I had the power it gave me. Um, uh, just out of curiosity, do you, um, either of you remember the, that power specifically? Uh, I don't remember which power it was, but it was the one that was located in the fair. Uh, in okay. the, like the fairground one where there, with the, the parades. There's a door okay. that I interacted with but apparently didn't interact with enough uh so that's why i missed it uh, mine was one in the uh one of the later levels um and i think it was the power up for the it was like two or three for spark like the time spark one maybe oh yeah that... uh, it, it was literally just like behind a ledge that i hadn't gone behind um but I had been through that level like six or seven times and not seen anything. And I was just, I was getting that angry kind of frustrated where I was like, I either need to look it up or stop playing. Um, yeah. And after a point there, like the, whatever feeling of pride you get for beating something like without a guide, like that pride goes away very quickly. I think 
the less you get from middle school. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always try to gauge my reaction to finding something out when I look it up in a walkthrough. Like a lot of times it's like, how could they have possibly expected anyone to know that? And sometimes it's like, oh, I'm so dumb. How did I miss that? So there's there's such like a little, you know, like somewhere in between there is probably the right answer. Like, okay, this was difficult. If I would have kept at it, I probably would have eventually found it, but I needed to move on. But it, I usually seem to have one of those two extremes. It's just, this is ridiculous. No one ever. And then on the other end, it's, you know, okay, well, yeah, maybe, maybe I should have looked a little harder, I guess. Uh, when I was going through Kingdom Hearts this year for the series, uh, uh, there was a certain point where people on the avocado were very blunt to me. You need to get the good ending because you need, or you need to actually see the true ending because it's plot relevant to the other games, which setting aside the fact that that's bullshit. And we'll <laughs> you can look it up on YouTube if you really need to. Right. And well, no, it's also just, yeah, I, I eventually was doing that, but um, for three kingdom hearts, three, the actual requirements from getting the bad ending to the bad, but much more hilariously complicated ending is um, that you had to find and take a selfie with a number of like Mickey Mouse emblems throughout all the various worlds of the game. And that was really fun. So I basically went out of my way to not look up guides because it was really fun to do that. And then when I eventually got the required amount and then ended the game, I, I actually did look up which ones I meant. So I was like, ah, man, that's actually a really, those are, that's actually a really well hidden one. That's interesting you mention, though, like looking up a guide to affect the ending, like yeah. at different points in the game, because I I've struggled with Dishonored. I, I know Dishonored is much beloved, but that's a good example where you have to basically be playing for the ending from minute one if you want the good ending, right? Yeah. Um, which some people like and some people don't. To me, it's frustrating, right? Because I didn't even realize I'd basically destroyed my game by not doing all these incredibly complicated things to dishonor the bad guys rather than just killing them right like usually a game doesn't set you on an ending path that that into a game so sometimes when people give you that heads up um early on hey you can screw up your ending in this game two minutes in or when merv eventually um you know plays final fantasy and i tell him to only feed the good fish uh, to a certain person um you know sometimes it is nice to have that heads up to use a walkthrough earlier than you normally would and not just when you're stuck um but yeah i i i don't know if that's good or not but games that force you into an ending early on definitely are, are walkthrough games for me or even games that would hide significant amounts of content from you if you uh didn't consult a guide like my first time through a persona game which was persona 4 mm -hmm. i used a like full game guide that i consulted every like the game is divided in game days and there are a hundred something of them um every day in that game i used the guide just because i wanted to maximize my content and i wasn't really familiar with this kind of game and that gave me the confidence to play persona 5 without a guide and i got mm -hmm. you know not the optimal uh, route and I didn't get to see all the content but I did pretty well at seeing most of what I wanted to see um, so it, it does uh, it it is nice to to have that heads up or to you know look it up when 
there is all that content that you could potentially miss. Yeah, it's, it's hard. You don't want to spoil them, obviously. But I do like when, when you know, fans of a series will say, hey, you know, if you're worried about getting the good ending, this is what you got to do. Because I'm at that point where it's very rare for me to want to replay a game. Like right after I finish it, there's very few games where I'm like, yep, let's load that back up and get the good ending, right? I just go to YouTube and watch it, sure. But sometimes it's better to get that achievement if you know that, you know, down the down the road, here's how you plan to do it, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that is one instance of when I use a guide. Um, another time I use a guide is when, and it's not not to say that I only use guides when I don't like a game, uh, but I use a guide often when I don't feel like the game is respecting my time enough mm-hmm. for me to want to sit there and figure out what it wants me to do. Um, so that was the case with Silt, which we were talking about earlier. Uh, there are definitely a few puzzles that were, weren't that hard that I could have probably figured out if I'd sat there for an hour wrestling with the game's controls. But at a certain right. point, was, I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just looking at a guide so I can blast through this. Um, turns out that wasn't enough because some of the puzzles, even when I knew the solution, took me like 40 tries. Um, but... It, it sometimes using a guide kind of arises out of frustration. Yeah. More so than not being able to figure out how to proceed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in a game, you can just be like, this section isn't for me, right? This yeah. is a part that I don't enjoy. And I don't care if I have to look at, you know, read everywhere on this. I just want to get past this section and get back to the good stuff. Right. Like if that makes sense, like sometimes there's a part of game you're just really vibing with. Um, I was thinking about the weird game out of nowhere, but the Darksiders game, the original one where, you know, like mostly it's this hacky and slashy type game. In. And then there's this one area where it's just very, very, very platformy all of a sudden. And, and I was like, oh, I hate this stuff. I think it's like when you first get some type of transversal system. Like I don't know what it was, but I remember just saying, okay, I just want to get past this part. Just look at where to go and what box to hit and, and how to get past it so I can get back to hitting things with a giant sword. But I think that's another good time to use a guy when it's just like I'm enjoying this game generally, but I don't like this specific part. You know, So yeah. it's not just I'm not enjoying this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when do you folks, uh, like Wolf, Waffle, when do you folks consult guides? What makes you go and look one up? Uh, I think my biggest guide moments are always when I've put a game down for a while and I'm picking it up again and there's uh, some kind of quest I'm on that I've completely forgotten or uh, there's some place that I'm supposed to go that I no longer have the mental map for. So uh I tend to, to use them a lot as like uh, kind of a, a up to speed sort of thing. So I'll read through a little bit before wherever I'm picking up on especially a long game um, to just sort of get my head back into it and, and, and kind of start up again. Um, I, I don't find myself using them to solve puzzles as often. Do you have to resist the urge to restart a game sometimes if you haven't played it for a while? Because that's yeah. always like very powerful for me. If I'm like, oh, what was I doing? And it's just, just start over, just start over. And I, I have to. That's a good time to use a guide for sure. Because the other answer is, okay, fine, let's just start it over. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes um, starting over can be like 20 hours of mm-hmm. game gone, and that I don't necessarily want to redo those 20 hours just to get further right. along. 
Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to be able to just get up to speed and then kind of pick up where you left off. Uh, Wolfman, how about you? Um, it's, I think maybe the best way I could explain, like, is just through the examples. Um, if it's Dark Souls, figuring out a which ending I might want and the, the thing I need to do to get there. Um, that also it includes stuff like Mass Effect quests and whatever. Um, finding an object that, like a collectible, um, that otherwise I don't really want to bother looking for or grinding for. Um, and then gener and others might be some strategies for fighting some enemies. Um, just general uh, stuff. So in the case of like Elden Ring or whatever, I'll, you know, it'll, it was, there, I don't feel bad about necessarily being, okay, I want, I'm more inclined to get this ending than this ending. So I'm going to work to get that one. Um, and if I if, you know, I want to also try a different area, but you need the magical hat of extra light in a dark room with no candles, then I can go look up where that hat is and get it. So for you, it's for a kind of accomplishing specific feats within the game. That yeah. It'll push you uh, to look something up. Yeah, I, I get a bit of that too sometimes when there's like a specific side quest or something like that that I don't really know how to go about doing, but I want, I definitely want the reward at the end of that quest chain. Um, that's the kind of thing that'll push me to look up a guide to kind of yeah. figure out what to do. Yeah, quite, yeah, I, I, I don't, it's a spoiler thing too, but I'll definitely look at what my rewards are for certain quests. If I turn this in, what do I get from this guy versus what do I get from that guy or what, what are the options or if I, if I don't keep the oh. quest reward type stuff. Oh, I'm actually thinking of doing that in Xenoblade. There's a quest where I can either with the Turkins, the Turkin mm -hmm. tribe. Yeah. 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 So the Turkins are getting... just to clarify, they're like, I guess semi sapient turkey turkeys, I guess. <laughs> um. Yeah, and there's a quest where there's like a, a really far out colony that's having a relationship with them and it seems like I can either and I'm not really sure, but I have two very dramatic endings that might include either trying to satiate their demands for tribute or possibly just going there and beating them up, and I'm not really sure. I don't want to be locked in. One of the reasons I'm glad so many games have kind of gotten away from, like, the binary Paragon and Renegade systems is because of stuff like that, like choosing the wrong quest thing, locking you, you know, down a down a quest path or something. So I, I, I feel like... Lately, there's less of a need to look that up, but it does feel like a constraint in certain games where it's like, well, if you want the good ending, you have to do literally every good thing in the game, and here's a list of the right quest choices. Um, so less and less of that, please. It's always f fun when you find out you did something really rare by accident. <laughs> like, would you just by, by chance selected all the right options to get that kind of thing? Um, I can spoil Dragon Age Inquisition because it's an eight-year-old game now, right? Yeah. Um, so I found out after the fact that installing Leliana as a divine was actually really hard because mm -hmm. I did it just by chance, selecting all the right dialogue options right. to make it happen. Uh, and I had no idea I was doing that. And then I talked to people afterward. They're like, how the hell did you do that without looking it up? I was like, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just happened. Um, we, we've talked about that before where I've accidentally done things in games and my friends have been like, how? that I don't believe you. And then you're like, yeah, look. And then that that's always a cool thing to realize exactly like what you're saying, that you've done something you know, that most people need a guide and you just did it by accident. I this this is going to be something that many people aren't going to believe. But um, I figured out the miming the Knights of the Round thing um, in Final Fantasy. Murph has no idea what I'm talking about. I figured that kind of on, on my own. Like, and I was like, oh, this is broken. This is really broken. And I remember telling my friend about it. He's like, yeah, everybody knows that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I felt like way less special. But I legitimately found it on my own. And uh, when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, I mimed this this thing. And then I used this ability and everybody just sat there and we kept casting it over and over and over again. Uh, and he was like, yeah, everybody knows that. I felt so dumb, but <laughs> like, at the time it felt cool. But uh, yeah, sometimes it backfires on you. Yeah, I, I the way I see it, if you discovered it all by your lonesome, it's as good as if you were the first person to discover it. Right. <laughs> Although you don't get the credit for it. Yeah, you just don't get to name it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not like not the cap of finding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so I did want to ask, like, I know guides and walkthroughs have kind of changed over the years. Um, yeah. What kind of medium do you typically use? Do you prefer to look up uh, text walkthroughs where they still exist? Ooh. Do you prefer YouTube tutorials? Does it depend on what right. you're looking up? I hate YouTube tutorials entirely. It's, I'm a reader, like, skipping ahead on your phone to the right place just to try to copy an input or whatever is exhausting and just feels completely unhelpful. So many times I just need one sentence of information, and I just don't need to watch a five-minute YouTube intro and then a sponsor and then, you know what I mean, just to get to the part of the the meat that I need. Um, yeah. I always look for text guides first. I still use GameFAQs even. I mean, just because I would rather prefer to see it in that format um, because I know it's kind of indexed and searchable and stuff like that. But if I have to do a YouTube, I will. But, oh, it's just the worst sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I love looking up something and finding a video for it and seeing it's like 32 seconds. I'm like, oh, thank you. But I hate this is probably a me thing. But when you're looking up something very specific on a YouTube, like where do I go to do this thing? And they just like they don't show you the map. They don't show you like the mini map. They're just there at the quest giver or whatever. Right. And you're like, you're giving me half the information. Now I've got to go look at another guy to find out where this guy is, for example. Um, it's just so weird that there's so many people out there who are making guides who don't get the basics of doing a guide. It's so refreshing when you like go to someone's channel and they're like, here's what, how do you go to this quest? And they start out in the menu, then they bring up the big map, let that sit on the, the screen for a second or two, bring it down to the mini map, and then they show you exactly like how to get to the guy. They're not just automatically at the thing that you're looking up. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, one of the other things that's a little bit frustrating to me about YouTube is while I'm not opposed to YouTube in principle, the big problem I have with it is that you can't control F a YouTube video. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I'm looking for specific information and I just right. yeah. want to look up that one specific thing. And like, so that is going to be buried in someone's 
20-minute walkthrough video. And like you, I'm always super happy when there's a specific video for that the exact thing I want to do. And it's a brief video that I can just watch because otherwise it's a huge pain scrubbing through a video looking for the exact moment that tells you how to do the thing you're trying to do. Huh, yeah. Especially if there's a potential for like spoilers for something yeah. further on if right. you go too far. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. I absolutely will avoid a video that's too long for something that I'm looking for. Oh, there's yeah. uh, those heroes in the comments who are like, the thing you're looking for is that, you know, like 34, 22 or something in a Let's Play. It's like, oh, thank you. Uh, I could not have to jump around this whole video. Yeah. It also, it's not as though videos are completely immune from the spoiler thing, too, because mm -hmm. you definitely have like any game with a true ending that's big enough to get an article and a publication for the true ending. Half the time, the picture will be from the true ending. Yeah. Yeah. So even text as a medium. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Is not immune. Um, but I also find it's gotten really difficult in this day and age, especially when you're searching for guides online um, to avoid spoilers. Because sometimes when you're Googling search results or you're looking up something on YouTube, some of the first results will be spoiler content. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so you just kind of have to look in the right places. Uh, otherwise, the, oh no. yeah, you're getting info you don't want to get yet. Yeah. Okay. I need to quit. I need to help this quest for my for my town mate Oliver. Oh. Okay. I guess you're now gonna fight him as a boss in chapter three. <laughs> oh. I guess you're actually. Oh wait. No. You're gonna fight him as a boss, and then two chapters later, he's gonna be in your party. Oh. He's also gonna get killed right near the end, and then he'll yeah, be in the not, true ending. Yeah. You're not at the part where he's been possessed by the devil and killed your family. Oh. If I wait to get to that part. It's gonna be so good. And you're like, ah, oh, why? <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that particularly. JRPG guides tend to give you too much background and too much foreshadowing sometimes than what you really need. Um, I think it's just part of the nature of like when people are explaining some of the stuff, like why they're doing it rather than what to do. And that's something when I always try to like read for context clues, is this person telling me what to do or why they did it? There's kind of two different answers there if you're really looking at it, you know? Yeah. And I, I prefer the dry what, like, mm -hmm. just tell me how to get over the obstacle I'm facing right now. Right. If I want a general guide, like a build guide, then I'll go look that up, right? Right. But if it's just some obstacle that I'm trying to get over, I don't need the whole meta, you know what I mean? I don't need mm -hmm. the, the character builds. I don't need you telling me what items I should have in my inventory at this point. Just tell me how to do the thing that I'm currently trying to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, like, on that note, like, uh, on the, the note of searching for help with a game, um, obviously there are, you know, guides published online or in videos, um, but do you fi sometimes find yourself, like, asking for specific help? Like, do you go on a forum ever and ask, no. or do you brave the Steam community <laughs> no, forums? I I will ask the avocado during a game thread, or I will ask a friend during a live show in person, like directly. I'm not going to go into a Discord. Subreddits are very, if they're very so micro right? communities. Yeah, like some will be like amazingly helpful, and some will be like, yeah, we get this question 20 times a week. Go look up, go look it up on Google. You're like, jeez, man. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a good answer, but I, I find like that. 
game, I still, like I said, I still use game facts. Subreddits are very hit and miss. I'll sometimes use those, but if I'm really just kind of looking for maybe a little contextual stuff about, uh, you know, something I'm trying to figure out, um, usually what I do, and uh, I think a lot of people just ask on the avocado. <laughs> it's just yeah. usually, usually people are very good about like, hey, this is what you're asking. This is the answer to it. And I'm not going to give you any more. If you want me to give you some more, I will, but good luck. Um, uh, and I, that's one of the ways I think our community is really good for the gaming in particular. We're very good about being, you know, recognizing like this isn't the answer the person may want, but I'm, that's what they're asking. So that's what they're going to get. And if they want more information, they can ask more, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to offer more without them prompting it. I think that's a very cool thing that we all kind of tend to do there. Yeah, and I'll just uh, add to that. Spoiler tags are a godsend. Yeah, because yeah. then you can kind of like put this in. You can kind of put in gradations of disclosure. Like, here's the basic fundamentals of what you need to know. If you don't mind being spoiled a bit, here's a bit more information. And I'm not going to tell you anything more because it would be a huge spoiler. I find right. that's really useful. Mm -hmm. And and uh, like I was mentioning earlier, it's also a very good place for people to say, look if you really want to do this thing, cause I'm reading your comments and seeing what you want to do. I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't do X, Y, or Z 15 minutes into the game, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get the, the desired outcome. So I'm just going to give you the heads up. I know it feels like a spoiler now, but you know, I, it's better than letting somebody waste a whole bunch of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find the avocado best for things like tone or like content that I'm potentially not oh, wanting yeah. to see. Yeah. Um, I had I had watched somebody starting to play uh, Cooking Companions, which um, is kind of a, it's a horror game um, in sort of a storybook style. Uh, and but I wasn't familiar with what exact sort of horror game it was. Um, and watching somebody play it for a while, it actually was something that I was not at all comfortable with. Um, and but. I, I feel I felt like maybe I had hit the point where the thing that was bothering me was at its worst. Um, so I was able to go and ask like, hey, am I still going to have a hard time with this game uh, if I continue to watch somebody play it? Is this theme going to continue to reoccur or have I already gotten to the worst part of it? Um, that way, you know, asking asking for very pointed, very specific spoilers, especially things that um, that I definitely wouldn't want to talk about on Reddit or, or that, yeah. uh, like a walkthrough video would just show me and not, and not give me that kind of nuance. Yeah. I was playing, Oh, I wish I could remember the game now, the, uh, the Sweeney Todd game a couple weeks ago, I was talking about it. Um, but that was a good example because I, a lot of people were, I, when I was recommending, I said, it's a very specific type of game that if you're not into it, and it's got very dark, very, very, very graphic, um, uh, you know, depictions of violence and stuff like that. So if you're not into it, you're not going to like it. But um, otherwise, you know, if this is something that you can handle, yeah, it's it's a really, really, really fun game. I wish I remember the name of that game. It was like a two-hour game too, but <laughs> I'll put it in the link dump once you yeah, remember. I'll remember it. Um, yeah, I found it also really helpful both for Rabbit getting it. Sorry? Sorry. <laughs> Ravenous Devils. Ah, okay. We'll put that in. Um, I found it very helpful, yeah, along those lines, both giving information and receiving information about how ideas and themes are handled in a game. Like, um, 
not so one thing a lot of people were asking me last year when i was playing through tales of arise was how it handled its subject matter because it deals with some pretty heavy stuff and uh what i was able to tell them uh was that it was kind of like it the reason it stumbled wasn't because it necessarily like did anything offensive but because it was uh trying to combine um an anti-oppression workshop with a graduate seminar on um like history of conflict and those things don't work together very well um which is like it's a very specific kind of mishandling but then that allowed people to to figure out okay um is this going to like sit well with me or not um and being able to give out that information i think you know gave people the tools to to figure out whether they want to embark on that game or not um over by the way overall pretty mediocre game there are other jrpgs that are better use of your time uh but not terrible um so yeah um definitely tone and and how subject matter is handled is a is a really great part of uh, a really important part of being able to discuss games online um and being online has made figuring out that stuff a lot easier um but on the flip side of that there are still guides that are available for purchase that are published in like book format um, yeah. have you ever gone out and purchased one of those like a prima or brady strategy in, guide in like recently uh no at any point the, in your life i guess oh but... yeah okay because when i was a teenager because I, I, I was born in 91 so i think i was kind of hit like the exact right age for buying a prima guide when you're like right as a preteen and then early very early in your teens um, which kind of is perfect because that was right before the big crash where they just completely, just completely went down. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I was kind of that prime age too because I'm, I'm like a year older than you. Um, and, but like there, were, I didn't play that many video games as a teen. So I was never kind of in that sweet spot to want to purchase a guide. And by the time I got back into video games as an adult, that whole Thing had passed me by so like in the one window my teens when i wasn't really playing games that would have been my optimal window to go buy guides and i kind of missed my window on that and i, I kind of feel like i missed out on a part of gaming history in a way because um yeah I, yes and no i mean with one of the weird things about guides is like at, at some points they almost became more collectibles than actual useful guides if that makes sense because they couldn't keep up with the actual game that was released versus certainly the, not updates right yeah. right so the actual version that they got to play six months before the game came out is not exactly relevant to the game you're sitting there playing at points like i think maybe the last one i bought was maybe the witcher 3 or um or uh dragon age but because i like to have the maps just there in front of me and stuff like that rather than a second monitor i prefer to have a movie on my second monitor and rather than like having to constantly alt tab and look at stuff i was like oh i'll get the guides on these but even those gigantic huge games don't get me wrong but they're just not accurate at, after a certain point right so i'm looking up this map i'm like this guy's not here this thing's not here this is not how i make this thing so it starts to frustrate you <laughs> even more than having um you know the actual just having the 
you know the the a YouTube up or something on the other on the other monitor to help you out. But there was kind of that a nice window where games were coming out. They weren't getting a ton of patches. They weren't getting those day one patches, and you could basically start to finish with a guide. But it was a very thin window of like probably like Halo one ish era. Um, you know, late nineties to like early like, yeah, yeah exactly like once like yeah like maybe 2008 was the i'll just put randomly as a cutoff point but yeah yeah it's, we can blame it on the financial crash it's cool yeah so you, got, you had about you had about a five-year window one of the funny things i worked at a bookstore during that time and game guides were like basically if they didn't sell in the first week they're just like throwing them away you know <laughs> like literally just dumping because no one's coming to buy them after a certain point right so I mean, you could get game guides for next to nothing. Um, the um, the one thing is, though, that, like, I actually have a, fo- a very strong fondness for that kind of guide. It's not really tenable anymore, obviously, not when the vast majority of games we're purchasing are games that are have, in- have either the intention or the need to update themselves in some form. But, like... You know, there was, I think, some a nice physicality to like actually having a book instead of just your, your another screen. Um, mm. The uh, for you know, I I got um, I had a weird like I guess you could call it like jump gap in when I was playing. I was had an N sixty four when I was about like nine or so, and then the GameCube came out, and I was excited but ultimately declined to play it because even as like a weird young preteen i was very very invested in backwards compatibility on a philosophical level it was just like why buy a new console when when they're not going to bother supporting the old console mm-hmm. so but i still kind of wanted to play those gamecube games until 2005 when i went searching for a sequel to banjo kazooie that turned out to actually not exist and then ended up buying a GameCube for Paper Mario 2. But, you know, for a long time, I was kind of only looking out from the side. I wasn't really super um, online then. Uh, But I did have this one thing, a four-in-one GameCube guide. I'm going to actually link to it right now in the chat. Um, See, when I... uh, This is this one thing. It it was a guide for um, Super Smash Bros. Melee... Pikmin 1, Luigi's Mansion, and Wave Race Blue Storm, the latter of which di- I didn't care about, so I didn't end up reading that part. But everything else, it was like magic. I mean, this was a thin guide. Like, this was not a genuinely, like, thick tome that was giving you a bunch of stuff. It was very cut and dry, but it was still very exciting to see these very disparate games. And it, for a long time, they kind of did seem like the future. Um, I think it it's interesting in a way that they'd publish this kind of thing because it's almost like it's encouraging you to buy the other games. Like you get, say you buy yeah. <laughs> Pikmin and Luigi's Mansion, and now you see you have guides for these other two games. You're like, well, I guess I might as well get the new Wave Race. Um, so I guess it's a pretty clever marketing ploy. That, or they just were like, okay, no one's actually going to buy a guide for Wave Race. But someone wrote it, so we're yeah. putting it out there. Go faster. Yeah. Uh, Push harder on the stick, you idiot. Yeah, the uh, but look, there's a, like a demon riding a bike, riding a jet, 
thing. Why didn't I think that was cool? Yeah. I was younger. Um, wave race is the is a thing that I've never played more than like ten minutes of wave race, but it's a thing that I kind of just for some weird reason want to be popular. Like I want wave race to be the biggest damn thing in the world, and I have no <laughs> idea why. You're like one of those F Zero people. <laughs> I am. I've never played an F Zero game, but I want Nintendo to make a new F Zero. I have no idea why. <laughs> I've invested in this for absolutely no reason. It's, it's great. Like, that, that it's out there in the wild. Yeah, I just want play. the F-Zero people to be happy, okay? Yeah. I want them to have good things. Let's just say that, that that's me with the Sonic people. I'm a well-wisher in that I don't specifically wish them to be harmed. Yeah. Uh, go, go ahead, Sonic. Uh, guys. Get you another Sonic game. Um, You're far more generous than me in that regard. <laughs> Look, you Sonic... probably deserve it. I don't know you. Look, Sonic Frontiers will exist. Um, oh yeah, that's coming out. Wait, is that coming yeah, out this year? Was it delayed? Real soon. It's yeah, like in a month or two months or something. Um, oh but, god, uh, this is gonna be. Oh no, we're gonna have to do projects on Watch 2022, and it's gonna I be know, so bad. I know. I, know. Um, I just wanted to also mention that like a lot of these were just generic like guides from Prima, and I think you know the work that went into them is still work. It's still respectable. Um, people did. I think there was a, there were like a lot of genuine efforts to like make a lot of this material clear and understandable. Um, but I, but then there would, sometimes you'd get like really unauthorized guides. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I have, I had a one for Banjo-Kazooie. I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes later. And then one for Pokemon gold and silver. The, and I really liked the latter because of the fact that it went in like the author would take time out making diatribes about like why it didn't make sense to have a Pokemon that was part grass and part <laughs> flying or part ground and part flying. It's like they're coming, they're running out with ideas. The uh, good news is those still exist. Like the unauthorized guides. I don't know if like there's less authorized guides. It's just harder to license and work with the devs and stuff. But like, I think about six months ago, maybe, maybe a little bit longer. I bought my son an unauthorized guide to Fortnite, And like, I was like, look, you're gonna know everything in here, and it's a—it's basically got it as a joke gift. And I was like, "This is gonna be the funniest thing you've ever read." So I sat down. He's like, "None of this is real." I'm like, "Yeah, the, this is what we used to have when I was a kid—the unauthorized guides." And like, it was like you were reading some secret tome, and then it's just like, now they just tell you the stuff like you—you you would know 15 minutes into the game and sold it to our parents. <laughs> so. um, by the way, if I remember correctly, the Banjo-Kazooie Totally Unauthorized Strategy Guide does not actually give you advice on how to beat the final boss. <laughs> yeah. It was too hard for the person writing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair... Well, you I, here, good luck. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I have beaten Banjo-Kazooie, and that is completely valid. <laughs> like, that's an obnoxious as hell final boss. Yeah, there's so much. Because, I mean, like, one, like, when you're talking about, like, like I got him the the Fortnite guide, and it's like if you're in a fight, you should build. Like that's literally the kind of advice they're giving. <laughs> what do I do with it? And there's like a section about like best dance moves to taunt your opponents. <laughs> it's just like as he was reading, I just like hear him groan or like look at me like, Dad, this is stupid. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Keep best ways to troll, basically. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's like, these outfits make you look cool. And he's like, it's like listing stuff that hasn't been in the game for like three years. <laughs> it's like trying to give the kids fashion tips. I'm going to have to get a picture of this because it's like, it's also got like a, like there's like a section at the end and it's got like Fortnite definitions and it's like, 
um it's not even it's like 10 year old like oh check out your um check out your your moves and they're like they're like have like a definition for moves like in parentheses like these include dances emotes and sprays <laughs> like, um uh, yeah oh on the opposite end though um is the um very notorious nintendo um guide to earthbound <laughs> no, so no, 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 i, I don't know about this so tell me yeah. about it okay Okay, so basically, like, when Nintendo was coming out with uh, Mother th- or with Mother 2 slash what we call Earthbound, they were a little bit, Nintendo of America was a little bit worried. Um, that Just, you know, the link is literally to that actual PDF that Nintendo has officially made available for free download. Like, it's, so that's why it just comes off as a weird link. Um, but, sorry about that. Um, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, the, um... Which you should re- which you should all read as they are exciting and full of fun details and mysterious asides and um, corrections because occasionally I accidentally lie. <laughs> yeah. Um. So basically, Nintendo they just was... released this right, like, like months ago, right? Yeah, Earthbound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I replayed it. Still good. Um. Oh no, I mean the guide. The, like they like Nintendo yeah. actually re released this guide. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, this is, yeah, that's why the link is, to, yeah, the, this is literally something they re-released just now. Yeah. Or, not just now, but, um, Little while back. I guess that, I guess the actual date will have to also be a correction for the show notes. That's okay. Um, um so it, what's special about this? Basically, like, for whatever reason, probably the fact that the game looked good, but wasn't, like, a boundary pusher for graphics, and, the fact that it's really weird and extremely confusing at many times and kind of inscrutable in a lot of ways. Um, your main character can become homesick. You need an item that exists to erase giant fake pencils. Um, <laughs> you, One of your main characters has a move that is completely useless and is the only thing that can beat the final boss. <laughs> um like because for that for that reason um they added a, they made a strategy guide for earthbound and it wasn't just like a strategy guide they actually structured it like a travel guide like each area each page or two pages was a different kind was like advertising the local shops and the climate of each new town you were going to visit on your weird stop to defeat the ultimate cosmic destroyer um this was this was golden back in the day opening a game and seeing stuff like this was just yeah it was very i mean it's very cool and the guide is still helpful but it's Mm -hmm. also just incredibly charming and it you know maybe that was why the game flopped in america because uh nintendo sold the game with the with the guide Mm -hmm. and a combination of that, the very bad marketing campaign where a bad guy who looks like a pile of vomit says, this game stinks. And the <laughs> fact that the, uh, the car- because they sold the cartridge with the guide, they had to actually posi- put the, it wouldn't fit in the regular video game store shelves. Oh, so no one actually yeah. bought it. Yeah, they probably had to put it like with the books or something. And like yeah. in a lot of places, that's, yeah. Because you yeah, can't lock up a book usually. game. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking at this guide right now, and like every section of this travel guide has um, like the list of enemies you can meet there. And in the peaceful rest valley and happy happy village, 
There is a rambling even mush evil mushroom, a new age retro hippie, an annoying old party man, and a spinning robo. I love that it just has like the list of enemies you're gonna meet, and I knew that Earthbound was was wacky, but I was not expecting that. It also has not only the enemies but the price list for the stores in, uh, in each area, with like yeah. little ad inserts for each of them so there's one that says it's going to charge you twelve dollars for fresh eggs which sounds like a lot uh even in this era of inflation <laughs> um so i don't know it's it you know even like it's not exactly what we're talking about with strategy guides but even the instruction manuals for games used to be so well done and it would just be yeah. like almost reading like like a graphic novels sometimes worth of content about this is what this game story is about this is who your hero is this is the game world it was like i rem i can remember just sitting like getting a new game and just reading the instruction manual on the way home as my parents drove me home you know and i'm just like i'm so ready to play this game and you know it, of course it ends up being like captain skyhawk and it's not <laughs> not anything you know the year is 2034 and evil force and then you actually play the game like yeah, okay whatever but it, it was just such a cool way to get invested in the game before you even actually turning it on um not yeah. exactly a guide but yeah i love that stuff there's a part of me that kind of wonders if like classic rareware like was way more interested in making the guides than the actual game at times <laughs> like you know, yeah. and even even old Blizzard games, like if you play like Warcraft, oh, like Orcs and Humans and stuff, it was like you would open that and it was just thousands of years ago. It was like, you know, just lore and lore and just dripping with like art drawings and like real like, I don't know, not like Frazetta, but like that old style of drawing where it's just aligned pencils and there's just a troll with all kinds of layers of junk on them. It's like, yeah, maybe these guys just want to make a book and not really a game, but you know, then you play the game and it's not exactly living up to the to the instruction manual. Um, I yeah, know that I was always a disappointment. There were some really amazing. Uh, I think I had one for like Legend of Zelda. Uh, probably would have been Ocarina of Time, and the the game that's in that book and the game that I played are two very <laughs> different things. Both yeah. of them were very interesting, but they didn't really intersect the way they should have. Um, it was it was always difficult because I you know they they want to tell you the story and get you like into the world and into the game and stuff. But they've also got to answer like very basic stuff like what does the A button do? But um, a lot of times, especially those early Nintendo games, you could tell they really loved their games, um, and that that's what they were there to tell you. But you know the games themselves were okay. Yeah, we're still playing a Zelda game, but um, those were gorgeous manuals too back in the day. Uh, the Nintendo sixty four era was really really cool for good manuals. Um, I've not yeah. mentioned this on the podcast before, but one of the games I had growing up was the special edition of SimCity 2000. And it actually came with not just a manual, but also a companion, uh, sorry, uh, it did, the manual came with a special section that was mm -hmm. just a collection of essays and artwork about urbanism and cities <laughs> which is such a an interesting but an appropriate thing to include with that kind of um game and i didn't appreciate it because you know i was 10 years old at the time so i didn't understand anything about urban planning but i wish i think my parents threw it out i wish i still had it because i think i would have found it fascinating as an adult you know 
that might have been a Sid Meier. He he was doing some of those early Sims, right? Sim games. Was uh, that Will him? Wright is the Will guy Wright. Yeah. Guy I think he yeah. Is. I know. Well, Sid Meier definitely was into that, too. I remember buying the original Pirates with an exclamation point game. Yeah. And there was kind of the same thing in one of those instruction manuals. This would have been on PC, but it was like the golden age of piracy. <laughs> it's just like telling you like all this stuff about, you know, this was when pirates were doing this stuff, you know, and just kind of an interesting like, you know, a little bit more than just the actual, um, you know, how to play the game. So I always thought that was kind of an interesting way to like, yeah, this is based on real world stuff. Yeah. I love that little bit of, of flavor that you used to get um, from manuals and companion, um, uh, like companion materials. And I like in some ways that element it's lost, but I also understand that that sort of stuff is better integrated in the games themselves mm -hmm. now. Um, so it's not like we've lost everything, but I do like that tactile feel of holding something in my hand and it informing me uh, about the the game in front of me. Um, so one last thing that I did want to talk about, and it's something that uh, Woff brought up when they suggested this topic, was where do you personally draw the line between getting help from a guide or getting some kind of help and cheating. Oh. I know, I'm like I know, cheater. Kappa has thoughts on, <laughs> on cheating. Um, I got no lines. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is the wild west. Just so I'm just like... going to give my thoughts here, and then I'll throw it open to you folks. Um, I don't think it's cheating to look up any info online. You want to go look something up? Go look something up. Um, I will say, it is quote unquote cheating if you use. Uh, Game Shark or a cheat engine. Uh, I mean, that's to, literally cheating. Yeah, it's literally cheating. But I also, if it's a single player game, I don't think there's any moral dimension to that. Like, yeah. the game's in front of you, you own it, do what you like with it. You want to cheat? Go ahead, have fun. Uh, again, this only applies to single player games for obvious reasons, yeah, but like, yeah. yeah. relationships, yeah. <laughs> Also, <laughs> yeah. does not uh, apply to any theoretical uh, speed runs done by a video game that may oh. have happened uh, this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. So don't don't submit your your uh, pre-recorded cheat runs and accompany them with a really bizarre monologue, and then get yourself essentially kicked out of the speedrunning community. Don't do that. <laughs> um, not recommended. Yeah, but other than that, cheat away. Yeah, you know, I think for me, I've got lots of different little personal rules for, you know, what I'll do and things like that. But one thing I always notice is like, let's say I'm replaying, like right now I'm replaying um, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, right? And I could look up a guide, but I know that game pretty much like the back of my hand. But rather than do all those little weird quests and do all these things so I can have credits and Omnigel and all that stuff, I just go right into the, like the save editor, give myself the credits and the Omnigel. And it's just then I can just go about playing the game for the story like I want to, right? So um, I, I sometimes use cheats in in place of walkthroughs or things I already know how to do because I just, I don't want to bother with it, right? Um, it's hard though. It's hard to describe exactly where that line is for me, but I don't need a guide to get through Mass Effect, but I don't also want to do all the stuff that a guide would tell me to do anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, it's useful for stuff that you kind of know how to do, but then exactly remembering how to do it would be a big waste of time. So, 
might as well just automate that almost. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's especially when you're dealing with a game where you are like, I'm loving that games right now have added the story difficulty or whatever you want to call it. Like, the, hey, yeah. I'm here to, to to basically, you know, push a button occasionally and watch watch a, a, a moving movie or something like that. But I, I like that option in a lot of games. But when you go back and replay games a lot, you start to notice like how many things get in the way of you enjoying the plot that you're kind of there for replaying it for me is almost always, I want to relive these moments. I don't want to go farm a hundred or, you know, go scan 20 keepers in the Citadel or whatever, but that's the stuff you've got to do. So you've got the game economy later on to do the cooler things. So I just skip that whole, you know, system sometimes. Yeah. Just set that quest flag to done, get the rewards yep. and then <laughs> yeah, I'm done it. Yep. get in your yep. weary way. Um, so I've used Cheat Engine twice in my life. One, I'm just going to say it, uh, and I know some people are going to be really mad when I say this. I used Cheat Engine to get through Sekiro. Yeah, because I remember that being a struggle for you, honestly. I got to a boss that I thought I'd beaten, and then it had a secret third phase that killed me in two shots. And at that moment i realized the game was just wasting my time so i effectively cheated myself in easy mode by manipulating damage and health values uh, that made the game way more fun by the way so uh that's uh one uh thing in favor of there being an actual easy mode in sekiro it's still not properly balanced and actually one of the problems with sekiro is that fighting the regular enemies is way too easy and fighting the bosses is way <laughs> sorry kappa just shared in the chat the copy pasta that was a sekiro copy yeah pasta. that was a sekiro <laughs> copy pasta um uh, i i mean again as as the as a person who has played a lot of FromSoft but can't parry to save his life and by extension can't really play sekiro um it seemed as though, like, that's the whole thing, right? Like, that it was just so much of the challenge in that game is just for just mastering really specific boss fights and everything else kind of is it really important. Other yeah, I feel like it just didn't distribute the difficulty correctly. So I more or less cruise through the non-boss bits, and then I get to a boss, and it would be a 10-hour brick wall. And that's when I realized I didn't want to spend 10 hours essentially doing violin practice and I might as well just pick up my violin again and play that. So <laughs> that's when I realized I was just going to cheat my way through. Um, I, um, uh, uh, if I hope this hasn't dissuaded you from necessarily playing some of the other, perhaps more actually more balanced games in their oeuvre. <laughs> I got to be honest, it kind of has, not because I'm not curious, but because I have limited time on this earth and there are so many other games I want to play. And yeah, that's not I... like, that's no disrespect to their craft. I'm sure I'd probably get something out of Elden Ring. It's just there's so many other games this year. And uh, I know I'm going to sink like 100 hours into Xenoblade this year. So yeah. I just unfortunately don't have the time at the moment. Um, the other game that I used Cheat Engine for uh, was the game I played this year. And I like actually specifically, I hadn't had um, 
Cheat Engine installed on this machine yet, so I actually went and specifically installed it. And that was the good life. Uh, mm. So, uh, foreshadowing, it pays off yeah. eventually yeah, yeah, you, in this podcast. This podcast is a plot and everything. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the reason I used it for the good life is because uh, this is supposed to be a life sim RPG, I guess. Uh, and that means it comes with survival mechanics. You have to monitor your hunger and your thirst and your sanity and your health. And you keep getting sick and having to go to the doctor. And this is all extraordinarily tedious. And I didn't want to bother with it anymore. So I just cheated myself. Like, zero damage, zero hunger, zero thirst, uh, zero insanity. Uh, and just went through the plot, which was still terrible, by the way. Like, this game is completely awful. It's but, very surprising, though, that yeah. for this kind of comfy-style game, that wasn't just a straight-up mode. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Like, that, this is exactly the type of game I think should have that story mode where all that stuff is defaulted off, right? Yeah, it should. Um, it wouldn't be a good game, but at least it wouldn't be... It would instead of being one of the worst games ever made, it would just be one of the worst <laughs> games that I've personally played. Um, but like, yeah, it it didn't need all those mechanics. They didn't add anything anything to the game. And aside from a couple of combat encounters, taking all those mechanics out didn't take anything away from the game. In fact, it just enhanced the game in every way. So I think it sometimes like when I use Cheat Engine. It's like if I'm being frank to correct a deficiency or a mistake in the game design. Oh yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with you. I I I look at it a lot of times the same way. I remember one of the big things that I would do in Cheat Engine um, and like some of the Total War games is um, you would have these weird battles where like your army would be wiped out at the end of them, and the AI would attack you with the same army, but all their stuff was right back at it and the ai was cheating it was there was no like if ands or buts right so yeah i think we're gonna we can even things up a little <laughs> right um but yeah th i agree whenever i feel like this is this is me evening it up or me making the system right do it it's a game you're supposed to have fun with it right absolutely um i mean i've only used it in games i didn't like <laughs> uh but i it made them bearable it made me push through them um I will say Sekiro, I, I prefer considerably to The Good Life. I think there's a lot of good in Sekiro. There's just some bad elements that kind of drag the whole game down. Uh, but yeah, it's it was for correcting stuff that I didn't like about the game. Um, and yeah, it's cheating. It totally is cheating. If uh, I earned a quote-unquote hollow victory where I... <laughs> Learn nothing and sacrifice nothing. I forget the entire copy pasta. Um, it's sad that you don't know the difference. Oh, I know the difference, and I am proud of it. I proudly cheated my ass through that game. Uh, you know, part of it is, is it sounds bad to say we, you get older. You, you really do, and you've got so many demands for your time. It, it used to be when I was 22, if someone was like, oh, this RPG is like 150 hours. I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait. I'm going to lose myself in this game. It's going to take over my life for the next two, three weeks. I'm going to love it so much. And I was like, oh my God, I don't have time for that shit. <laughs> I just don't. Like, 
I, I don't have I, I don't know. I just don't have that type of want to put into most games. There are some games, obviously, yeah. I can play Destiny the shit out of it, but that's more like something I can play two or three hours a day. But um, I don't have that type of time to just invest in a 120 hour RPG that I, I like you said earlier, it, if it's doesn't respect my time and it makes me do a bunch of fetch bullshit and collect five million little bugs, you know, that are two pixels big. No, I'm good. I don't need to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of pull back the curtain a bit, one of the things we were talking about before we actually started recording was that like we were slammed at work. Yeah. And like I mentioned specifically, like all of us were mentioning about how we were slammed at work or had a lot going on in our lives at the moment. And like I actually fully intended because i had some some days that were supposed to be relatively free uh this week i fully intended to spend like 20 hours playing xenoblade chronicles 3 and then real life intruded i got slammed with a new request at work and it ended up taking out so much of my time and i'm working late these days and i'm watching that time to play the game slip away and xenoblade chronicles 3 is a game that i'm currently loving so you know i'm gonna kind of play through it as intended but if i were playing through an rpg say on my pc where i actually can use cheat engine um and i wasn't fully enjoying it yeah this would be a day where i pull out the cheat engine and start filling with the values and tables um because like i have real life adult responsibilities sometimes that make me like i still enjoy the medium i still love playing video games but you know i have other things to do you know i i have like chores to do dishes to wash clothes to fold like and a, and a job that i'm actually paid to do so yeah you're absolutely right as you grow up um sometimes you just don't have the patience or don't have the time for this stuff um I guess I'll... I think there are occasions when when a guide can be cheating, though, and that that was part of the reason that I brought this up in general as a, as a topic. Um, I've been playing off and on some Baba Is You. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love that I, game. I adore puzzles. I adore puzzle games, and this one has just absolutely bent my brain so bad that I I did finally hit a point where I had to look up an answer and. It was cheating. It was straight up cheating. There, I don't think there's any way around it because it wasn't. It wasn't giving me a hint. It wasn't telling me where to find a traitor. It was showing me how to complete the puzzle. Yeah. And to be fair, if I hadn't watched that, I would never, ever have figured it out. It, it was. Je- it was using a, a mechanic in the game that I hadn't really understood fully. Uh, in a way that I didn't understand it, it was used in, and I, I genuinely never would have gotten there myself. I would have just been stuck there forever. Um, but the horrible part is, I don't think I've gone back since then. I, I feel like I, I feel like I tainted the game for myself. Once I broke that seal and started actually using a guide to show me how to complete a puzzle, it was like, well, why am I still trying then? Why am I not just watching somebody else play it? If I'm that uninterested in spending hours of my life banging my head against it, why am I still here? Um, um, so I, I, I kind of ruined it for myself in a, in a weird way. Without, without cheating in the more traditional, I actually went in and changed the code since. I, I totally get what you mean, because I actually did also reach that point with Baba's You. Um, not like 
there are like two endings to Baba's You. There's like the first one where you roll credits and then you can go and play more of the game if you solve the last puzzle in an alternate way. Sorry, we just spoiled a little bit of Baba's You, but it's oh, no. it's not that much. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so I, I made it up until like the first roll of the credits without consulting a guy, but then I wanted to play more of it, right? Because I was really loving this. And I got to one puzzle where I was like, I don't know how to do this, and I don't think I'll ever figure this out myself. And yeah, it did feel a little bit like I was giving up. Like I was going there into uh, a guide and and like kind of taking the joy of discovery out of it. But the way I rationalized it to myself was, okay, once I look this up, I'll get to another puzzle and I'll unlock some other puzzles that I can then kind of go back to to doing the old way, not quote unquote cheating. Um, so I think that kind of got me over that hurdle. Was well, just. Go ahead. Um, for this is something that I did in um, in Return of the Overdin. It's a great game. The puzzles are brilliant. I could not figure out many of them, and but what I always tried to do to because I kind of felt like that. I wanted to at least give myself the idea of like how as I tr I did try to like actively go in and fig and work it out even while I knew the solution just to like so I could be like okay this is how this person died and this is wh what I could have seen. Um, it was, I think, a way for me to avoid feeling the way Waffle felt. I don't um, play many puzzle games because I'm a dummy, but um, <laughs> let, let me ask this. So is there a part with some of those puzzle games where you feel like this isn't cheating because it's a failure of game design because they didn't teach me how to uh, do this? Yes and no. It can be it, it can be because the game is – It's be, it can be because the game has – bad mechanics it is because the game ha has badly explained stuff it could also be because the game is just doing a puzzle that's at an absurdly high level and sometimes that's not fair and sometimes that is fair like i, yeah. I think that Oberdin or probably baba is you are games that were designed and were very open that they were gonna be hard mm -hmm. and uh yeah i will mention about uh Baba is you. Someone online, I'll see if I can dig it up for the link dump, published a quote unquote spoiler free walkthrough of Baba is you, where it's just hints for every puzzle. And um, hints that'll kind of almost certainly guide That's you towards the correct answer. But they wanted to preserve that feeling of you not like having cheated yourself through the game. So like it's all hint based. Which I thought was a really neat idea. I think um, that's very cool. Um, and sorry, Wolfman, on the subject of of like puzzles, uh, like that you feel uh, don't uh, don't really fit with the game, and you kind of use a walkthrough for that. The, the good example I have for that one is minor spoilers for Broken Age, the snake puzzle. Uh, those of you who play Broken Age will know exactly what I'm talking about. No other puzzle in the game involves timing, really, to the same degree. And there's one particular puzzle where you have to wait for something to happen, and no other puzzle works like that. And I never, like, because no other puzzle in the game worked like that, there was no way that I ever would have thought to wait for something to happen. And so that's, you're exactly right, Wolfman. 
puzzles that kind of operate outside the rules that the game kind of implicitly imparts to you, those I think are really good use cases for looking up a guide and quote, quote unquote, cheating yourself the solution. Um, having said that, thanks. Uh, uh, but I do, there, I actually do want to make like maybe a counterpoint to what you and Kappa were saying though earlier. Because, like, I'm not someone who, you know, uses... I don't play on PC, basically, ever. I haven't played a PC game since, I don't know, maybe Pony Island. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I mostly have historically always played on Nintendo systems and consoles in general. So mod support is never was never going to be, like, a, a thing for me. Unless you pay Bethesda. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Yeah, I have not since uh, Prey. Great game. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, sorry, you're saying something. But um, but basically, like, so to a certain extent, I don't really have the option to actually add cheat, cheat codes or use actual modifications. I basically, it really is, I have to take the game at its own word. Um, and for the most part, I don't really ever feel like... I. I I rarely feel like I've ever had my time wasted in a game, even when I play bad games. Or at least, I mean, I I write a lot about the bad games I play, so yeah. at least that... Um, it was honestly the very first... Actually, it was only this year that I actually felt a, something like this when um, I got the DLC for Kingdom Hearts 3, um, which is mostly just a selection of the same boss fights you fought in the end of the last game, but harder and then obscenely harder to the point where you basically have to be at the highest level of play to even begin fighting them. Yeah. And, and that, that does strike me as a waste of time and you could just look up the cutscenes. That's why I didn't buy it. It's also absurdly priced. It would have been uh, more expensive than the price I actually paid for Kingdom Hearts 3 to play the DLC. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, I I spent about like $120 over this entire project and a third and a fourth of that was just that DLC. And you I actually what... kind of feel you on the idea of like playing bad games isn't a waste of time. My perspective on bad games now is if I play a bad game, worst comes to worst, it's fodder for the podcast. Like, I actually don't think I would have finished Silt otherwise. But yeah. I was like, here's something I can talk about in the podcast that's going to relate to the topics of discussion. You know what? I'm going to push through. And it's, I think it's actually been a valuable experience kind of pushing through these bad games in other ways because kind of solidified the way I think about video games. And it's kind of helped me become, I don't know how to say this exactly, a better consumer of games like i understand my preferences more deeply now that i've played now that i've kind of forced myself through bad games i understand what it is i don't like and i can kind of better pinpoint what's good about a game and i can more intelligently talk about them now uh, so yeah it is valuable sometimes to kind of push through a bad game sorry cap you were saying something yeah there's one thing i wanted to mention it's not exactly like a guide or a walkthrough or whatever but it's kind of adjacent but there's a lot of games out there where it's like, if you don't know this one thing, you miss a ton of content, right? Yeah. I'm thinking about like Doki Doki Literature Club, right? Like where if you, no one's going to accidentally do the thing that you need to do to basically unravel half that game, right? 
Um, so that stuff kind of spreads word of mouth or, you know, you, you almost it all you're almost creating the game to be walked through. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, so I wonder, like, if that's an it's got to be an intentional design decision. I get that. But, um, you know, like sometimes you'll hear about these Easter eggs that hey, stay hidden for years. But I always wonder kind of like it's almost incredibly brave to do that. Right. Um, what's the other like frog fractions and stuff? Um you know, all these games that kind of exist that just basically like hide an entire game inside of a game and you have to wait and hope that enough people read the walkthrough so they don't go, oh, this game's stupid. <laughs> like you have you have to crack something to get to the real game. Um, I think I don't know what that there's something about that design decision. I know you don't like Doki Doki Literature Club and I love it. It's like the only like thing i think we <laughs> like anime adjacent thing i like but um it's just it's so interesting to me that like there's there's developers out there that are willing to basically do that and take that risk right See, and then just hope enough people do the thing so they appreciate the game for what is actually there that I, you don't get on just a cursory playthrough i think it's really interesting you say that because um when you mentioned that this is these games are designed to be walkthroughed I think these games can only really exist in the context of the modern internet, where right. yeah. you expect that this information exchange is going to happen at the virtual water cooler. And I think that's actually a really cool way in which the internet and Web 2.0, if you will, has influenced modern game design, that you can now make these games that rely on word of mouth or someone asking okay so what's the deal with this game here and then getting that information and enhancing their experience that way and yeah sometimes i think i don't think we appreciate enough how the internet has changed the way not just games are consumed but also the game the way games are made right yeah it's 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 a really it's an interesting time like when you know like we talk a lot on the avocado about like movies and tv shows like not trusting the audiences like there's games that are very much doing that, right? Like right now there's very sneaky, sneaky games that are kind of like, yeah, we're going to work with something that you think, you know, and then we're just going to throw it all out the window. Um, so I, I love that idea. And I, but I do think it's so reliant on, on a, the walkthrough Google it um, culture, you know? Absolutely. All right. Um, so is there anything else we want to discuss regarding guides, walkthroughs, yeah. et cetera? Yeah, I had, I had one I wanted to bring up. All right, this sure. going to be kind of short, but I've long said on the opposite end of this, one of the things that's not cool about walkthrough culture kind of taking over is kind of feel like the prevalence of walkthroughs and guides has basically killed MMOs a little bit, right? Like it's hard to explain but back back when i started mmos like how you killed the boss or how you did an encounter was like top secret information right players would try to poach people who knew strats and stuff like that right now one of the first things you're seeing like in mmos is as soon as they kill a boss here's the full walkthrough the guide here's the composition we use all that kind of stuff right and i think because of that a lot of people who really got addicted to mmos back in the early days are kind of chasing something that doesn't exist anymore, right? That like feeling of figuring something out and knowing how to do it and you and your friends knowing it um, and other people not. And, you know, that feeling is gone in MMOs and a lot of people want that back and it is not coming back. I think it's um, also kind of 
had a detrimental effect on the social aspect of the game because right. there might be people who want to figure it out for themselves through play and other people who just want to blast through it and sort of look stuff up. And so there's always this expectation that you're going to be the latter kind of person and people who want to figure stuff out for themselves can't find anyone to team up with because they're just expected why... to know when they go raid or whatever. Right. And even like in, and I play a ton of Destiny, it's MMO light, right? But I, I have a bunch of friends who do day one raids. And it's not honestly because we're like, we want to be world's first raiders. It's because if we don't do it day one, guess what? Everybody already knows how to do it. And you know all the strats. And you're just kind of like, you know, kind of robotically doing the motions. Um, and so I think in some ways, that whole like walkthrough culture now um, has kind of made MMOs feel very different. Because it used to be when I started MMOs, it would be, let's get together and try to figure this thing out, right? Now, one of the first things they ask you in a lot of, like, MMO settings, have you watched the video? Do you know the strats? Like, do you have this thing that, that's required? That's very different feeling for me as an old-timer MMO guy where that was not something we did. It was like, let's try to figure this out ourselves and versus let's go watch a video and then try to do what they do in the video. Right. Yeah, it almost kind of kills camaraderie because part of right. what builds camaraderie through playing these games is the joy of discovering something or accomplishing something with a group of friends. And right. if you take that away and it just becomes, all right, we want you to meet these specific requirements. And if you don't meet them, we're not going to hang out with you. It, it almost starts to make the whole thing feel like work. It's like, did you bring your part of the project? Right, right. Yeah, 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 okay. I, did I you do it. your part of the group assignment, right? And we all know how group projects go. There's always one person you have to drag <laughs> along with you. Yeah, yeah, I watched the video. Don't worry, let's just go. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's weird because the other thing it does is it creates strategies that maybe work for like a streamer or a one guild but then it doesn't let the community figure out fights in an organic way right everybody says this is how this group did it they used five warriors and three priests and, and then that's what they try to create right they try to emulate what worked which i get right. and right? there might be like 10 other viable strategies exactly. that no one's even exactly. trying because like the top the... destiny streamer used that one right right and so well we're looking for three warlocks if you're not a warlock you don't get in that's stupid, right? There, there should always be a way to do it, but it's, do you want to put in the work to find that way or do you just want to wait for somebody else to figure out and then just do what they did? So that that's the one like kind of part of like, I, I don't know, I would call it a negative, but it's one thing in like the walkthrough culture now where I think there's a lot more, let's let somebody else figure this out. And I've, I always want to be part of the figuring it out team if I can, you know? Um, blind runs are sometimes what they're called. And that's what I enjoy more. And we'll figure out stuff and, you know, we'll laugh and we'll die and we'll take us longer than it would have took other people, but that's okay. You know, that's where the fun is not, not an, okay, well, let's watch this video and then just do what they did. You know, to be honest, I think a lot of that figuring out energy has moved over to the speedrun community yeah. where people kind of work together point. to figure out how to crack open a game or bypass a certain time-consuming area like that's where i see that kind of joy of people getting into discords together and kind of hashing out strats for getting through a certain part of a speed run yeah, yeah that's that's a really good point there's people out there who do nothing but try to break games they're not out to speed run they're just trying to find the strats 
because you get the strat named after you and then all the speedrunners use it and you get your name everywhere that kind of thing can, can <laughs> yeah. be yeah, you get just the... as rewarding and if, if you have the right mindset for it it can be just as difficult and and um just as rewarding yeah one of the the things i notice every time i watch a speedrun marathon is like uh, a good portion of streamers will sh will shout out the community and say don't worry if you don't have the like physical skills to speed run a game the entire way through you can still be useful to the community by figuring out uh bugs and glitches and and cool strats so still even if you don't want to speed run this please join the discord like mm -hmm. I think that's so neat that they're looking it, for people with all these different skill sets, and it be kind of becomes this community project. And um, what Waf says too is so true, where so many of the streamers are like cognizant of that, like that people are doing that, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna perform the Jester three four seven roll real quick, and then I'm gonna yeah, use absolutely. the you know the the Cuphead four three four you know whatever like glitch, and and, and like it probably feels awesome to have something like that, you know." named after you in, in, in a speed run for sure yeah all right uh this has been a pretty like a pretty wide-ranging discussion on yeah. guides and walkthroughs and all that jazz uh, so if you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast you can follow us on our website at avocadogamescast.wordpress.com there we post each episode along with the link dump that wolfman g mentioned earlier and that fact checks a lot of the stuff that we mentioned. It also includes links to a lot of the stuff we discussed, including some of those strategy guides that we're going to post online um, or post links to for your benefit. If you want to listen to us on a regular basis, you can subscribe to us too. We love that. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're also on Spotify. All you have to do is search for Avocado Gamescast. We're the only podcast called Avocado Gamescast. And if you see another podcast called Avocado Gamescast, that's not us. That's some other person somewhere in, I don't know, Estonia probably. We'll get our lawyers involved. Possib don't possibly lawyers. some fools who cheated but didn't know it. didn't throw. <laughs> it's yeah. sad that they did know the difference. Um. Yeah, shout outs to our Estonian fan base, by the way. We love you guys. Um, and make sure you check out the avocado at the-avocado.org. Um, very important that you put that hyphen in there. That'll take you to the right URL. You put some other bit of punctuation in there. We do not take responsibility for where that takes you. So <laughs> put that hyphen in there. It's a wonderful Probably community. We talk about video games. We talk about movies, books. Um, occasionally, we talk about little marbles racing each other on sand. You know, we talk about all sorts of stuff. Uh, go check us out. We're great. <laughs> and beyond um, our games, we're an exciting community. We have werewolf games, politics, uh, live religious events, uh, which, which <laughs> actually... Sounded a lot better in my head. Yeah, uh, yeah. community satyrs. Community satyrs. We can be specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, community bonding. Yeah, you know, look, uh, that satyr we I held kicked all kinds of ass, and I don't care how much I brag about it. That will that will never stop that from being the case. Also, no, that was, that's awesome. Also. But anyway, I thought there was something coming after the also. Like, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna unveil the next like 
banger thing we do on the avocado. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, the next is award ceremonies. Uh, th- things where people talk about comic books. A lot of comic books. Threads all about, like, you know, that D, that C or D list, DC or Marvel character you love? We've got a whole article just about them. Absolutely. So please do check us out. And, of course, plenty of video game podcast. This podcast, a monthly roundup of game news. Uh, another podcast that goes uh, called Franchise Festival that goes deep on specific video game franchises. Um, we have Mid-Aughts Meltdown about games from the Mid-Aughts. We have an entire series on platformers. Uh, One we Giant have... Leap called One Giant Leap. We have a series of 30-minute retro reviews, lots of great gaming content. Please check it out if you haven't already. And with that, I guess we're calling this podcast to a close. So thank you, the Kappa. Thank you, Wolfman Jew. Thank you, Wafflicious, for doing your first podcast uh, about video games. You've pro- you might have done other video game podcasts. Your first <laughs> awesome podcast about video games. Yeah. Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah, it was. Awesome. I've been trying to get you for a while, so it's so glad. I'm so glad to finally have you. Um, thank you to our listeners, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Good night. Night.